This episode is supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational, evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. Dove has created an interactive ebook for children that can be personalized to showcase their own individuality and diversity. It's a free to download ebook called The Magic Mind and Body and is a part of the two year partnership between Dove and the Cartoon Network's Steven Universe. The ebook is available at stevenuniverseselfesteem.com. But, Alex. Yeah, Shane? Let's begin the episode. Let's do it. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 61. Kind of an interesting episode today. Such an interesting episode. I didn't know what to expect when we first booked these guests, but having had them on, having done these conversations, I think it fits in perfectly for our MO. What's our MO again? Just talking about life and navigating relationships and families, I think. Oh, if that's our MO, this fits in with it. <laughs> I didn't know we had an MO. So, so tonight we have Ash Avildsen. Ash is a director who is also the son of a director. His dad, John Avildsen, did Rocky. Like Shane, you've seen all the Rockies, right? I wasn't a big Rocky guy. I'm a little embarrassed to admit. I know Rocky is a seminal film. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but I've seen it maybe... On a Sunday afternoon when I was a little kid, but I don't really, I know the, the running up the stairs, but Adrian! Ca- yeah. And that's Jason Schwartzman's mom played Adrian, actually. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Like, way bigger to me is the fact that he directed Karate Kid. Because <laughs> for me, that was like my movie. I thought I was Karate, karate Kid. Karate Kid? Yeah. I joined, I signed up for Karate, ended up hating it. Right. Your sister was great. My sister got her black belt and broke Did you, did you and- get any belts? White. That's the one they give you when you go through. No, I I got yellow actually. Is that like the one, the first step up? Yes, and I remember a very embarrassing moment. I was I was doing like a kata or something, and my pants fell down. <laughs> and my mom bought me Roadrunner underwear, which even at the time I knew it was embarrassing. I hated my Roadrunner like tidy whiteies, and they fell down. But the, the <laughs> cr- karate just... pants are very flimsy. You have to tie them. Especially okay, I've way. never worn karate pants. Do they come with a belt? No, they come with like a drawstring you tie. It, it comes with a drawstring you tie, and then your white belt needs to be tied in a special way too, which I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. You know I'm not good at um, motor, fine motor skills. Motor skills. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't write my name or anything. Anyway, my pants fell down. My Roadrunner underwear was revealed, and everyone laughed at me and pointed. And even some grown men were no. laughing. I swear to you. like that, that sounds like just a bad memory where, you know, you're like small and everybody around you is getting bigger and laughing. And I think grown men who join karate classes, like all, the is beginner Is that even class. possible? Like for yeah, them there to was join other, with there, children? Yeah. In the, at the time, this was Weird. 30 years ago because mm. I was six. This was 30 seven or 31 years ago that's weird yeah uh so all the beginners were kind of just all learning but some of the older men they were (laughs) laughing at me there's nothing as a kid the pants down has two things first of all there's nothing more embarrassing than having somebody pull your pants down or your pants falling down but then there's also nothing more badass as a kid than mooning somebody so the pants down has you know it's a 
double-edged sword there. I, I was never into mooning or you anything. You weren't? No. All right. I was a big mooner. Anyhow, we've got Ash Avildsen. It's a fascinating... <laughs> <laughs> if Ash is listening to this, he's like, what What a weird digression. No, but he, he was such a fascinating conversation. And Shane and I have talked about it several times since... We really got a lot from that conversation. It was one of our favorites, I think, that we've ever recorded for this podcast. What was so interesting about this conversation was he had this famous dad Mm -hmm. and he never spoke to him until right before he died. So his whole life, like he was watching movies like Karate Kid and Rocky and watching his dad win an Oscar, Mm -hmm. but he had no relationship and he opened up about it. And it was one of those conversations you would only have with someone at like 2 a.m. If you'd known them your entire, if you'd known them your entire life, they're your like close friend and you'd open up. But having a podcast is really an amazing way to just get somebody to to tell you everything about their lives. No, and, and I liked Ash's candidness and I like how he was willing to talk about everything because I I don't know that he was initially and well we told him up front hey if you want to be on this family tree podcast (laughs) you better spill it no but it it really is a fascinating discussion just about family dynamics when you know families aren't hunky-dory all in love with each other and I, I just think that everybody will get so much from it. Ash is a director himself, so he's done What Now and American Satan, two films, and he has a, a TV show coming out uh, this year TV or next series. year. A, t- a TV yeah. series, yeah. So it's called Paradise City, and it stars Bella Thorne, Andy Biersack, and the late Cameron Boyce. Now, this was Cameron Boyce's last mm-hmm. project. And actually, if you are a Cameron Boyce fan, uh, he plays, I guess what would be the most biographical character in the film. He plays kind of like a young version of Ash in in this series. Later on in the episode, we also talked to Cameron Boyce's father, who runs the Cameron Boyce Foundation. Yeah, so his name is Victor Boyce. So he talks about basically what it was like being the father of a young actor. He was on set with Cameron all the time. And just about Cameron's kind of transition, I guess, from being a child actor to an adult actor. And most importantly what it's like to lose a child which is obviously every parent's worst nightmare Mm -hmm. so it was pretty uh, amazing that he's even able to talk about that because you know it's obviously a very difficult subject to relive but he he is carrying on cameron's foundation Mm -hmm. and he was just amazing to talk to and you can see why cameron was so comfortable on camera <laughs> because Victor has a, is a very eloquent man with a, a way with words and a gift of gab. Mm-hmm. Oh, but we, we he, were on with him for a long time. I think it was time. Our, our longest one ever. It, it was great talking to him. And again, I think we got a lot of perspective from this awful thing, that awful tragedy that he had experienced. And it's something that I think we can all benefit from listening to. Yeah, no, it very emotional. And we do hope that you all enjoy them. Anyhow, Shane, would you like to give me a toast? Episode 61. So tonight, six one. we are drinking Seedlip Grow 42 with Fever Tree tonic water. And then I've got dehydrated citrus fruit. So I think, Shane, you've got dehydrated orange and I've got dehydrated lemon and lime on the sides as garnish. Yeah, this is a very alcohol tasting drink this is probably the most alcohol tasting drink we've had Yeah, i feel like i'm at a club yeah if you if you bet me money 
and said, tell, like, if you bet me a thousand dollars and said, Shane, tell me if there's alcohol in this or not, I would say there's alcohol in it. Oh, it's beautiful. So you go just two ounces seed lip, two ounces fever. Fever tree makes the best tonic water. It's just like smooth. It's got less of that yucky tonic water taste that I find some of them can have sometimes. The fever tree one is like real smooth. But yeah, Alex, thank Shane. you. Thank you for making that drink. <laughs> I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you too. Thank you for appreciating me. All right, Shane, what do you got? Well, oh, I have something off the top actually. Sure. Just okay. steal my segment. Sorry. I just want to bring this up because I think it is something that we need to change in our life. So there's a meme going around and this was, you know, a big election meme and it was really funny on Twitter. Uh, people were dragging each other for, all right, you know, you don't have to worry about Joe Biden's tax plan if you're whatever looks like. People dragging each other? Yeah, like saying like, oh, like if your house looks like this, you don't have to worry about Joe Biden's tax plan because that means that you make under $400,000. Yeah, I get the meme, but the that term I've never heard before, dragging. People are dragging each other. Yeah, like making fun of. Or... Just say making fun of each other. I'm trying to be hip. People say, oh, I'm just dragging you, man. No, I've never heard it used like that. I've heard it like maybe people were dragging President Trump for... I'm looking this up afterwards. Okay, I just... If anyone's like me and confused, uh, I'm hoping I'm helping them out. Cause... And I'm hoping I'm using this term properly. Anyhow. I'm, I'm going to Google it, actually. Continue. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, the one that made me really laugh is... If your pillows look like this, you don't have to worry about Biden's tax plan. And then it had somebody showing their pillow and it was just like without the pillowcase and it was just grungy looking and stupid looking. And Shane, our pillows are chunky and all the stuff is like in clumps and they're just crappy looking. Why are we living with shitty pillows? Dragging each other is not a term. They were dragging people. Yes, it is. Whatever. Anyhow, comment on this pillow situation. Why do we have such crappy pillows? And don't you think that we should spend money on getting good pillows because we spend eight hours on them a night? I do think being in a bed that you like is important and being cozy is one of my goals in life. I love being cozy. I love couch forts and all that. <laughs> but I kind of like a sloppy bed. Something about me since I was a child, I always loved a sloppy bed. But what do you think about our pillows? Do you find them shitty and uncomfortable? I, I have been thinking about it a lot. I'm sure I would probably notice it a lot more if we upped our uh, if we upgraded our pillows. Because here's the other thing: like with all things in life, like if I make food or I make drinks, I always give you the best one. It's like if I make cookies and you know one gets all mucked up and it breaks or something, I always give you the perfect looking. I one. give you the best things too. Yeah. Except when it comes to me making the bed and doing the pillows, I always put the shittier pillows on your side because you seem to have not minded ever or said anything in the past. So I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll just keep taking the good pillows. So that's the one thing, and I have never admitted this to you, but that's the one thing that I do on the sly in the one time in life where I don't give you the best and I save both of the two best pillows for me. I do kind of notice it. Because my pillows are like really flat. <laughs> yeah. my, like the cookies you mentioned before, that's how thick my pillow is. It's like those thin Pillsbury cookies. So, so you do notice that they're crappy. Yeah, because I have to fold the pillow often. <laughs> so it's it, it's a normal lure size. It's still about half the size of a normal pillow. So here. I guess what I have to say, first of all, I'm sorry. 
And secondly, like, I think, I think, you know, we, we wouldn't have to worry about Biden's tax plan, but I also don't think we should suffer with these pillows anymore. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's get better pillows. Let's get on that tomorrow. Honestly. Yeah. No, I'm in. I'm sure we could find moderately priced, comfortable pillows. Yeah. So this week was very hard. It seems like every week it has a new thing of challenges that's just making me in thinking that, oh, next week's going to be better and then it's going to be harder (laughs) because I'm so embarrassed. I don't even want to admit this because it makes me so sad. But Shannon Sossaman was supposed to be on our podcast and I got a message from her manager saying mm-hmm. she's going to have to push it, which sometimes means they they never come back and they do it, which has me depressed. Yeah. It does. I, uh, I like her uh, <laughs> as a friend, platonic feelings towards her. No, but you, you describe them as like when you were younger, it's like that's like wife material type thing. No, it's not even about that. Like I don't even want to act like – Oh, um, like because I have a crush on her, I want mm-hmm. her on. It's just because I really was a fan of hers yeah. and I'm fascinated by her career and her films and how she got into the business. And that's why I want to talk. I don't just want to like Chris Farley out like in that sketch <laughs> when he's talking to Paul McCartney. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know that sketch, but where he's like, I "You're in the you Beatles." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like being in the Beatles? And it's just him fanning out. It's more just I have a, a deep admiration, right. which. I found this out on Monday and it kind of set my week totally out of orbit and I was tense and uh, irritable and uh, so I just wanted to ask you during this week you know we had all these plans to meditate Mm -hmm. and have a date night what do you think and things we're doing right now what's working and what ain't working because this week it felt like more things went wrong than right but I wanted to get your perspective Mm -hmm. on it well those things are outside of our control but I think when it comes down to things that we can control I mean we've only meditated twice and I have to say I don't think it really maybe it got me more amped for sleep like maybe I got more sleepy from it but I don't seem like an anti-meditator I'm not at all. I just, I think we need to do it right. Like, I think I want to download somebody to guide us through. So the last two times we did it, I guided us through the meditation. You're pretty good. Am I? Put on your voice. So now, take a deep breath in and slowly exhale and feel the breath leaving your body. It moved, Alex. Anyhow, uh, I, I think that we should get somebody to guide us through the meditation and also to make it, I think Michael Gervais, when we had him on the podcast, he said to make it at least eight minutes to start out. There's a new Calm app. Have you heard of this? I've heard of Calm, yeah. Where it's like LeBron James and... Um, Harry Styles. Harry Hottie Styles will read you through a meditation. It could be cool to try that app out. No, I, I think we should. And I, I do want somebody else to lead it so that I can focus on meditation. Yeah, I guess it's robbing you of relaxation if you're worrying about making me say? relaxed. Um, you know, I didn't mind it entirely, but I think it could be more effective. And then, so date night on Wednesday. And I, I thought that was a great idea. I think setting the night for a date night is a great idea. It really kind of forced us and like Wednesday wasn't a great day for us we were arguing what did we argue about we were just we were arguing about stuff but what oh we got oh you can't say I I can't say but 
we were arguing and then the date night kind of forced us to say, okay, look, like, are we going to ruin our one night of the week that we are for sure putting aside for each other? Or we are, are we going to kind of like let well, this, I came to you with that speech. It's no, not like we just no, but Shane, But the thing is, it, it's on both of us to decide if we're going to do that. And that's what I like. About I gave it. you an ultimatum. <laughs> I did. I walked in. I said, hey, this can either happen or it can't. Yeah, what, what but that's, and that's what I mean. And then it's up to the both of us to say, yeah, I want this to happen or no, F it. I'm too mad at you. And I think that when it's set and then you're like, this is our night. Do I want to do I want to miss our night? I think it. You know, it helped us get over things and it helped us to start, you know, trying to reach out to each other again and be nicer. And then we had a great, we had an awesome date night. Yeah, I, th- I thought that one worked too. I'm glad you said it worked. And yeah, I, I loved it. I, what do you think of Wednesday as a date night? I think Wednesday is the perfect date night because it's just when you're reaching like that really stressful, crappy point in the week. And Wednesday night, hump day, it's great. And it, it gives you that little break in the week to kind of have fun and have like a bit of a Friday night. So like you were even saying this morning, like for this week's date night, let's get sushi. And like that is exciting. You know what I mean? Like it's it's awesome. I love it on Wednesdays. I wouldn't I wouldn't change the day of the week. Yeah, I, I highly recommend Wednesday as a date night. I feel like Tuesday's too early. Mm-hmm. Thursday's too close to Friday. Wednesday's perfect. Okay. No, it is. And did you think it was a successful date night? I did. I felt like... You know, we did we, uh, we did it. We did it. So that was successful. Yeah, but uh, like everything. I mean, like we were like sitting around. We were sitting around. What what what, what did we eat? I can't remember. Yeah, I know it was good things happened. Yeah, we like we ordered out. We watched a cool movie. We got intimate. What did we? we had fun. What did we watch? Sorry to bother you. Yeah, so we watched a movie called Sorry to Bother You, which was wild, and I recommend it if you want to watch a very cool, very weird movie. And then, yeah, it was, I had a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to it, to it this week as well. I have a suggestion. Yeah. So I kind of want to make it, like, even more immersive, right? We can't go out, we're stuck at home, I want to make these date nights as immersive as we can. I know your suggestion. What? You're going to say get rid of the phones. That's one of them. Okay. So first thing is get rid of phones. So when date night starts until we're like in bed and ready to fall asleep, phones are gone. Okay. And so we can pull out the phones when we're about to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you want to just give things a little check. And then the other thing, and I'm just, you know, curious about your take on this. And when I say, okay, I'm just going to say it like dressing up like we are and there's different ways we could do it so it's like we could dress up like we're gonna go out or we could just and you're getting this from your parents because they one night they came over they're all dressed up and we're like where are you going they're like nowhere it's just date night and i was like haha yeah because your dad's a bit of a jokester and then it came to light that he wasn't joking he does dress up on date night they both do they both like do their hair my mom puts on makeup they both shower put on nice clothes and they have a date night at home it's like really nice and they try to look good for each other uh, they do this once a week? Yeah. So there's that option. But then there's also the option. When I was cleaning up our Halloween stuff, I noticed a curly brown wig. I'm Don't not laugh wearing at me. that. <laughs> well, you want me to wear the wig? No. I got something else for you in mind. But I'm wondering, do we like try to do a thing where it's like 
I don't know, we're out, we're dressing up as other people, and we just kind of make, like, a funny game thing out of it. Okay, wait. You, I wear a wig? I wear the wig. And I pretend you're another woman? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And not in, like, a, like, cheaty, like, oh, to pretend we're, you know, getting flirty with somebody else, but just to add a little of the chase. Because I think that, you know, not only when you've been with somebody for so long, but then when you're stuck in quarantine and in the same house and not going out and not seeing other people, that the sense of a, like adventure mm-hmm. is gone. Are you willing, like, no, are you willing? Are you able to disassociate like that and actually feel like it's real? I don't know. I've never tried it. I've never tried it. And that's, that's why I want to, to bring this up because I don't even know if it's a good idea or not. Or I don't even know if it would be possible to do because I imagine that I'd put on a wig and then just start I laughing. Feel, and like, Yeah, it could be goofy. fun, though, in the sense that it's so cringy and embarrassing <laughs> that it could be, make you laugh. Like if I like showed up with the curly wig and like came to the door of our house and like said my name was Rhonda, let me in or something. Like I don't even know how that works. Is that how you do it? It's an aggressive woman. Um, (laughs) I don't know. We can try it here. All right. We'll we'll report back. Oh, I I thought we were going to pretend like right now. Oh, like we're okay. Yeah. I can cut it if it doesn't work. Okay. So, okay. So what? You knock on the door and I open it. Hold on. Oh, hello there. Hi. Sir. I can't do this. Now, okay, so that idea we're not going to do just because I I don't like it. Yeah. You just be you and uh, no wigs. No wigs. Well, we'll cut the wigs. You mean literally, like we'll not use them, right? Yeah, we will. We'll cut them out completely. Because I like your hair longer. Thank you. Okay. Moving on, though. Oh, and I guess I wanted to talk about the election. How do you feel about that? I was fired up at the thought of Trump winning again because I, I really do just, just, I guess I just despise him. I really do despise him. Uh, now, with everything that's happened, like I'm, I feel just more relieved than anything. And I feel emotional looking at the footage of the people in the U.S. like partying and celebrating and everything. Like New York is just a party right now. Washington's a party. And those things are really make me emotional. I saw a picture of Kamala as a young girl. That made me really emotional. But this was actually one of our listener questions for tonight too. I do hope that with her and Biden in there, they can make good decisions going forward. But it's it's a weird it's a weird thing because I'm just so relieved that Trump isn't in there. So relieved. But it's still scary as hell. Like even just from a few of the people that I follow that are Republican or a few Republican followers that I have that were commenting things to me today or that I saw posted. It's like things are so fractured in the states and people are just it, everything is so so divided. And one woman commented to me today in response to a picture or a, a video I put up of Kamala and she said there's going to be a civil war. We're prepared. And then basically take, make, make what you will of that, what she said. But it's like, that's terrifying. That is so scary to hear. And then another girl that I follow uh, was posting QAnon conspiracies. And I said, like, do you actually subscribe to this? Do you believe in this? 
And she wholeheartedly does. And she's a regular suburban mom. And it's like people believe in this stuff. And that is terrifying because it's so harmful. Like it's so harmful to the collective. And I just, I don't know what that is going to lead to. And I'm worried that with the loss, they're going to mobilize more. And that's, that really freaks me out. Like, again, you know, you take this woman that I was talking to earlier that I was saying, like, do you believe in this QAnon stuff? She, with every fiber of her being, believes that Hillary Clinton kills and drinks the blood of children. She believes that. She believes that Chrissy Teigen is involved with sex trafficking young kids believes that so wholeheartedly can't imagine anyone be be drinking people's blood and no no that like i couldn't picture hillary doing that well here's like she wouldn't change she wouldn't it's just it's the most far-fetched conspiracy theory that has somehow taken hold of people and it's so bizarre to me that we have an environment that that can happen it's scary so i feel a sense of relief but also this new kind of tension and i think that's that's where i'm at i feel relief but also this new tension okay should we get to the episode or should we get to the interviews yeah let's get to it okay so we're going to get to our first interview with ash avelson in just a moment but first alex is going to tell us who we are supported by we are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. First and best. First and best. And it's a non-alcoholic spirit. It is crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories. Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. And it is my favorite thing to drink when I'm not drinking. Alcohol, that is. Which is most of the time. Like, no matter what we're doing, it's most of the time. Yeah, my 20s, I felt like I drank every single night. (laughs) And now, not drinking has been my new thing, and I'm a better man for it. Oh, it's the best. And as a non-drinker, it never feels good when the only options are water. I like that, water. (laughs) You could say water. (laughs) That was a mistake. Our water, sodas, and sugary mocktails. Because now we can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. Because you can actually make complex cocktails with Seedlip. But we don't really have a social life right now, so <laughs> nothing to worry about there. Our own social life. So whether you prefer the punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process that includes copper distillation of botanicals. Each of Seedlip's three variants, so you've got Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with a splash of tonic. But you can also use the Seedlip cocktail book to make something a little more complex. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and follow at seedlip underscore NA on Instagram for more ways to enjoy. Seedlip is available in Canada and the US. And again, that website is seedlipdrinks.com or .ca. And regardless of which website you use, use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off Seedlip. Two words, Christmas gifts. Bingo. But we are also supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make just the best basics ever for your littles. They're fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft, comfy, and timeless, and can be passed down from kid to kid regardless of gender or trends or anything like that. But after Betty, we are not passing it down. It's staying with us for posterity's sake. 
Yeah, unless we have that oops baby, then it can get back into use again. No, we could save it for the grandkids. <laughs> Very true. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic and low impact non-toxic dyes. And really exciting news on the mini miage front. They just launched their knit collection, which includes organic merino wool, upcycled polar fleece and Sherpa fleece. And they've also relaunched the fan favorite fleece varsity and biker rompers, which are so cute. And Betty basically lives in hers. Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you will get 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. Again, that website is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. But now let's get to our interview with Ash Avildsen. Ash, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. We really appreciate it. And I just want to congratulate you on Paradise City, the series coming out soon. <laughs> uh, we're hoping it comes out in December. That's what we're uh, what the current plan is. So pending subtitling and some other post-production stuff. Yeah, that's fantastic. And Prior to this interview, we just got off uh, with Victor Boyce, the father of Cameron Boyce. And I know that Paradise City is the final project that Cameron Boyce worked on before uh, he tragically passed. And I know that you're involved with the Cameron Boyce Foundation in a way. And I was just curious about what that connection was. Uh, I've pledged to uh, contribute, you know, a, a respectable amount of money. I think it's in some news pieces uh, to it by the end of the year, which is the plan. I believe in it, but I, you know, I, I'm not like on the border in mm. meetings, all of them. I've just, when, when Cameron passed, I said, I, I want to help support it. And um, that's what we're going to do. Is it true that Cameron's character in that series was based off your life growing up? Uh, yes. A lot, a lot of it is inspired by, yeah, there, there are certain things that are different. Like his father played by, uh, Ryan Hurst in the series is actually a, a, a big, uh, record executive, uh, as if he's like the CEO of like a universal or a Warner rather than a film director. Cause we wanted to keep it rooted in music, but yeah, there's definitely things in the story that are based on my life growing up without my dad knowing who he is, knowing I have his last name, and he's very, very successful in Hollywood, but no, re no relationship whatsoever. Um, I didn't meet my dad till I was 34, wow. and so in the story, which gets established in the pilot, you see that Simon's making his own way, you know, as a DIY promoter uh, on the East Coast, and people think because of who his dad is is why he's able to start building his own career. So he has this stigma of false nepotism because people just assume that but the truth is he doesn't know his dad and um yeah his dad didn't want him born uh, in the story uh, and there's a scene about that he confronts his his mom asking like why did he you know want him aborted and you know they discuss the, the the amount of money that she was offered to have the abortion and stuff like that and that that's the exact same story that happened to your father and your mother yeah, my father offered my mom a lump sum of money and a, and a movie role to not have me. He had, he had just had two boys and they were and he was divorced and he didn't want a, a, another boy at the time and, and a kid with uh, my mother. And yeah, were they together? Uh, yeah, they were. They were. They were dating and you know they were doing their thing and spending a lot of time with each other. But it wasn't in the cards for uh, for yeah. a baby, at least not in line. That's so interesting. Now, is he? 
were were your brothers and sister were they estranged from the the father as well or just you? That's just me. So he had he had four kids from three different women. So his mm-hmm. first wife had uh, Anthony and and John. Then he had me out of wedlock with my mom, and then years later he married uh, Tracy, who he had my uh, half sister with. So I never knew my two older half brothers until mm-hmm. I met my dad and met him through them. My half sister I did meet first out of anyone from that side of the family. She reached out to me online uh, years ago. In the first few years I was living in LA in my twenties, uh, uh, and we met um, a couple times and then stayed in contact. And then we became closer after I finally met my dad. Man. So when you say you had never met him, like. You know, I I don't know about when your when your parents broke up or anything like that, but had he had never seen you like from when you were born until a couple years ago. So this isn't in the series, but maybe we'll show this second season through a flashback. But the one time I saw him as a kid, I was I think like eleven, and I eleven or twelve, and I had to go to I forget what it's called, but it's like the New York like Supreme family court or something mm-hmm. it's like the the highest level of family court in new york and i basically had to go testify why he should have to pay for my schooling in high school junior high high school because i was going to a co-ed military boarding school right which that's my next series which is a co-ed course <laughs> uh, junior rtc boarding school in the 90s which is a fascinating world but yeah i basically had to go and testify why i think i should he should have to pay for me to go there because oh i had God. no father figure and you know my life was kind of insane growing up you know with a single mom you know alcoholism and things and so long story short he was in the hallway to go into the courtroom this is my first time seeing my father uh, in the flesh and again i was like i think at 12 and so he's sitting about two seats down from me. I go to sit two seats down from him. And it's one of those like Kodak moments. You just remember exactly in your mind. Like I remember this, the socks he was wearing and how he was holding the newspaper. And I was waiting for him to, um, you know, notice my existence or acknowledge my presence in any way. He never looks over. He goes into the courtroom and I don't see him again for you know, 20 something years later. Did he, did he know that was you or did he just think that you were a kid there? No, yeah, he, he knew. He knew did he listen to your testimony? I don't know. I, I, you know what? That's a, I would love to go back and try and, and, and dig up those court papers now that I'm all grown up and see what I said and what everybody said. That would actually be very fascinating. Do you think it would be like I think of myself, you know, digging back into something that could have been a pivotal moment. For me personally, I might find that traumatizing to a degree, do you think that that would be too painful or you, like that's something that you, your fascination would kind of win there? I think because I have closure and I mm-hmm. met him and we became very close and we were close for two years and I was with him holding his hand when he left his body and we, you know, we just had a beautiful relationship. I think because of that, I'd be okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I never met him and I still had resentment and anger in my heart, I would probably never want to look at those documents because it would just be a trigger for negative emotions. Yeah. But I think now I think it's fine. You know, two, two of the two of the main things, which we've already discussed on, on this um, Zoom, uh, which are, you know, him wanting me aborted and then him not looking at me that day in court. Those were the, when we celebrated um, my first birthday together after becoming friends, we went out to dinner to Dan Tana's and 
at this point we'd be we'd been hanging out for about four months so i didn't want to like hit him like after finally meeting and be like hey dude so let's talk about all that fucked up shit I like, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so i purposely just like you know what like i don't even want to mention it yeah I, i'm just so happy that we're, that we're friends and we're close and we're collaborating on things and was uh, he 79 and, when you met him around yeah 78 79 yeah oh um but he was all there i mean yeah. he was he's definitely he's a lot more there than than other people that everyone knows or knows personally or anything that they're at that age so he was he was uh you know very very good in that regard mm -hmm. um but uh yeah so i asked he, he's basically said you know when when we were having the first birthday dinner he's like hey so you know if there's certain things you you know want to discuss you know you know ask and i was like well i, I did want to actually ask about some things and he's like well i'm not going to be here forever so please like you know of course and so i asked him those two things i asked why um first like why he wanted to have me aborted and he said he said uh you know he was told like he didn't he didn't want to get pregnant at the mm -hmm. time and he was told by a doctor that there was a like one in 30 I think I think there's I think he said there was like the doctor said there was like thirty thousand other people that could be the father, and he was like that's all I needed to know at the time to be selfish and and just say oh it's not mine because I don't I, I wasn't planning on having a kid, and I was like but that thirty thousand other people in L.A. County or on planet Earth my mom and dad were, were dating in L.A. and he was like no on on Earth I was like oh so then you knew because. 30,000 people on planet earth is like a 99.99999% chance. And then they did all the, the, the gene testing and it, it was, it was undeniable. And actually it was very undeniable. It was funny. The first time I met him really, actually really the second time once I went over to his house and we spent like eight hours together, just talking and hanging out. It was like, Oh, this makes total sense. You're definitely my dad. And now I see all these weird little mannerisms and idiosyncrasies and all these things. I was like, wow, I'm some weird mix between my mom and my dad. This all makes sense. That was one thing I asked him. And then the second thing was about that day in court, mm -hmm. why he didn't um, look at me. And he, I was like, do you remember that? He goes, yeah, I remember it. And he's like, there's no excuse for how I acted. I was being cold hearted and, 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 you know, hurtful and shitty. And he's like, I, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, if you want to flip this dinner table over on me and, throw the wine on me and walk out you have every right to and he just you know basically owned it that it was you know being being a shitty human and that was it did you take him up on that table flip <laughs> no. no we actually just had a nice cheers and nice. actually i think i think I, I think that photo might still be like my facebook picture or something but we took a photo together that night after having that cathartic conversation and um yeah so like you know even the best of parents i find can screw people up mentally or in you know how you view relationships how you view life whatever but knowing your dad wanted you aborted and then that day in court like did that fuck you up as a young person or did you manage to have some some sense of stability and and did you win the court case i wanted to know yeah. that too yeah we did win and he had to pay for my schooling and that's when he basically my mom won a bunch of back child support that he hadn't paid for many years. He did like some like, I'd have to go back and do the, and look through the court case, but apparently like once I was born, 
you know, he was like, he offered like some small lump sum of money to be like, here, take this. And basically you and, and the child stay out of my orbit. And then um, many, many years later, you know, he, he had me in between Rocky and Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. So he was obviously well from Rocky and then Karate Kid, you know, it exploded as I was growing up, which is a very challenging thing because, yeah. you know, it's one of the biggest movies of American cinema, like of all time. And, and when you're living it in the eighties and you're going to school, it's like, kids are like, what's Mr. Miyagi and LaRusso like? It's like, I don't know. I've never met them. And they're like, wait, what? But that's your dad. You have his last name. And then, you know, you're trying to understand why things are the way they are when you're in elementary school. Mm. It's a very challenging mental and emotional undertaking. But um, th- we, we, we won the case. So basically, you know, my, my dad came even incredibly more successful as I was growing up and, we were living in a two bedroom, one bathroom apartment. It was me, my mom, and my brother in one bedroom, my grandmother and my aunt in the second bedroom, my uncle sleeping on the couch. So it's like, you know, we're not doing, you know, we don't got money like my dad. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, karate gets huge. And eventually, yeah, my, my mom got an attorney and said, isn't there like something that should be done here? And there's actually a Larry King episode that I'm, I think I'm finally going to upload online that, that my mom was on with her attorney. And about this whole thing and it's a pretty compelling episode there was another guest too i think it was goldie hans ex-husband but it was all about parents are together and how it all works with you know responsibilities with children my mom said on on the larry king episode she's like i would just take john being involved in ash's life above any of the money just yeah. to have so he mm-hmm. had an actual father figure in his life or having his actual father but um, so we d- we did win, and then I, I w- they had to he had to pay for my military school, which is really the determining factor that I think why I ended up being successful because I was skipping school and doing graffiti and like just getting in trouble. Almost got sent to juvie. Like I was, it was very apparent that um, I, things weren't. Once I got into junior high, things were changing drastically than how I was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. So luckily, I got sent to Randolph Macon Academy, and that was a, a great decision that my my family made. But yeah, so I guess, sorry to digress. Okay. Yeah, they, we, we did win. I uh, haven't read those documents. I would love to. And that's when I first got to live in a house for the first time. So we got a house out in um, the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia that was close oh. by to the school. So do you do you think that you would have been so successful? Because you're the CEO of Sumerian Records. You're into TV and film. And do you think that you would have been able to have that drive and that success if you didn't go to military school or do you think you would have been off the deep end kind of i mean i always loved music and film so i think i still would have wanted to choose those creative arts of what my focus would be but i don't know that i i I think i I think i probably would have had some things happen that would have ultimately made it much harder or impossible for me to Mm -hmm. succeed the way i did because i was just based on what was happening before I went to that school. And the school was really great because it, you know, it, it teaches you a lot of things that, I mean, things that, you know, some of my staff might love, some of them might hate, but a lot of things I learned in military school, I actually incorporate into how I run my companies. You know, there's, there's certain things that you learn at a young age and I don't do like group punishment with, with my company, but the idea of group punishment when you're an adolescent and, and you're, you know, a teenager, it, it's very powerful because then you realize, wow, if I drop the ball or I mess up, I'm affecting all these other people. Mm-hmm. And that's true with a record label or, you know, a film shoot. It's like, there's all these moving pieces and everyone has to work together. So if one person is dropping the ball because they're just messing up or, or just 
purposely not trying hard or acting up or, you know, creating problems, then it does affect the whole group, you know, mm -hmm. whether you're at a military school or you're on a film set and you can't get a shot because someone's missing or whatever it is, putting their own stuff ahead of the, the, the team. But there's a, there was a lot of things like that. Um, time management priority, you know, really just only relying on yourself to, to get certain things accomplished and not, having to have total accountability for your actions. You know, there's a lot of things like that 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 I think were very, very influential in, in how I um, ended up growing up as like a young adult. Um, and also being just grateful for freedom too, because everything yeah. was so structured there. So once like you got to get out on the weekends and kind of like live by your own rules, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I remember just like going to the mall on the weekends <laughs> was this incredible thing. Like, so it really made you value a lot of stuff that most people kind of take for granted. So obviously not having your dad, there's a lot of negatives, but do you think that in a way, not having that cushion of money or thing to fall back on helped you with your drive and work ethic because you knew you didn't have anything if you didn't make it on your own? Yes, a hundred percent. That's, that is a great question. And that's the one thing that undeniably I can say for 100% yes, mm -hmm. because there is nothing to fall back on. That same concept from an individual standpoint of just trying to succeed at life and in a career is the same thing for like a lot of like indie film. You know, when I became close with my dad, he told me some great stories about Rocky and Rocky was an indie film that was non-union for most of the shoot. Then they got flipped and they had to move. But because they were up against the wall and they didn't have a lot of money to make the movie, they were forced to be creative and nimble in ways that they wouldn't have been had they had a big studio yeah. budget. And that ended up being some of the greatest scenes uh, in the film as far as what what really pulled on the heartstrings of the audience. And one of those is the first date that Rocky and Adrian go on. So originally, uh, my dad said that Sylvester, he actually gave me one of the original Rocky scripts, like this, oh, wow. the first time, first or second time I met my dad, he's like, hey, check this out. And it's, it's a much different story before my dad started collaborating on it. Like Apollo Creed was actually like a Jamaican rude boy. Mm. He wasn't American. He was like just a totally different character. But back to the first date, like, I guess it was originally written that there, you know, Adrian and Rocky were going to sit at a table and talk on a date for like eight or nine pages. My dad was like, "Ah, oh, let's not just have them sit at a table because that's so claustrophobic. Let's open it up and do something that's more unique uh, and memorable for their first date. And so my dad was like, well, let's get uh, a bowling alley. And the producers were like, well, we can't afford to get the bowling alley. We don't have it in the budget. And he's like, well, let's get the roller skating rink then. They're available. And he's like, well, we can get the roller skating rink, but we don't have the budget to fill it up with a bunch of people roller skating, or I'm sorry, ice skating, the ice skating rink. And they're like, well, we don't have the money to pay a bunch of background actors to be in there. He's like, well, we don't need any. Let's just have them go in there and it'll just be Rocky and Adrian and they'll walk out on the ice skating rink and Rocky won't have skates and Adrian will and that'll uh, accentuate, you know, the, the differences in their, you know, characters and, and basically, uh, you know, punchline to this whole thing is because it was an indie film that didn't have a bunch of money, that didn't have the the cushion and the freedoms of a bigger production or a kid that grows up with two parents and a bunch of money and, and opportunity. It forced them to be creative within the the budget. Yeah. And because because of that, now when you watch it, you're like, wow, that that first date in that ice skating rink, which is really because they had to be creative with their backs up against the wall with a small budget of an indie film. And when you watch it, it, it's a really special scene. And it's something no one had seen before, mm -hmm. which was the first date on an ice skating rink with the guy without skates and the girl on skates. And the only other person in the scene is like the janitor, I think. And had they had a bunch of money 
or a big studio budget, that scene probably would have never been what it is. He also told me the same thing with the ending too. He said, originally they wanted Apollo and Rocky, you know, even though Rocky loses the fight, he wins the story, right? Because mm. he gets the girl, he goes a distance, he, he proves that he's not just like, you know, a bozo from the neighborhood. And originally they were gonna have Apollo and Rocky both get carried out by the audience. right? So that way, even though Rocky loses the fight, people love him, he's a hometown hero, and they carry him out of the arena. And they went to my dad and they go, hey, we can't carry Apollo and Rocky both out because it's the same background actor. So it'll break continuity. <laughs> You're like, that's not real. So he's like, you know what? We don't need Rocky to get carried out. This is a love story. Like, have Adrian, you know, run in and and it's all about Adrian and Rocky at the end, and that's all we need to say. And then he did it. That's and awesome. and it, it's not about him being carried out. And mm -hmm. so when you watch it, you know, there's there, and there's a few other things in the story like that. But again, these these magical moments were actually the product of of being a low budget indie film. And you had to think creatively outside of the box. I'm really curious because your dad, obviously an Oscar winning director, did you get into film? Because you started with Sumerian Records, so in the music industry. But did you get into film to kind of like get his attention, or was that just a, like a natural thing because you were you knew that you may have had that talent in you? Do you know what I mean? I I always loved music and film ever since a kid. I love my dad's movies. I mean, growing mm -hmm. up. So it was always challenging because like I loved his work, but I didn't know him. So I still had this resentment and anger towards him, even though like I loved his work. But no, I chose music intentionally first. One, because I was playing in a band. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even like, oh, I'm going to try and, you know, I just didn't have any mean, like it's much easier to like start a band and play a show than it is to try and like make a fucking movie or even a short film or anything or a music video, especially back then when like, you know, you didn't even have smartphones. So like even just to get a camera, to film something was mm -hmm. like you got to get a camcorder, who, whatever you could, your means could could um, get you. But no, I, I intentionally went into music one because I just loved it, and I was playing in a band, and two because I I, I specifically didn't want to seem like I was trying to, you know, exploit my last name or anything. Right. I was like, I'm making it in music, and I and I made it. I made a very conscious decision at a very early time in in my life that I'm going to make it at a certain level of music before I ever try to do film because I have to. Sh Prove to myself and also to the world that like I made it in music on my own. My dad had absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, he does it. He's not in the music business at all. And I did it on my own as an underdog. And then once that happens, then yeah, I'll I'll try my hand in in, in film, but not until I've already reached a certain level of music. And so that's that's how it went down. Did you end up watching the movie that was made on your dad's life? I believe it was in 2017. They they made just before he had passed. Yeah, so he actually, um, th that was uh, being edited when we started becoming really close. So he actually called me over and said, hey, Ashley, come over. I want I want your notes on this rough cut of this this movie, this young filmmaker's making on me. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I went over there and I'll never forget it. We're sitting down in his, in his um, kind of like editing film wing of his house. And he's like, all right, let's check it out. And he turns it on. And in like the first like 30 seconds, it's Martin Scorsese talking about how he got his start. <laughs> my dad did. I go, what the fuck? <laughs> Scorsese's first job in the business was working for you? He goes, yeah, I was a PA on this little short short. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's insane. Like nobody knows that story. And, and, you know, there's a couple other incredible stories that did you see? Did you see the doc on him? No, I watched the trail. I really want to see it, though. It, the trailer opens with Scorsese. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. holy shit, like this looks weird. Yeah. 
It, um, I don't think this story is in it. So I'll share it real quick for this. Daniel Craig, who's obviously you know massive, massive A-list yeah. movie star now, his first ever job as like a, a real deal movie role was in The Power of One, which was um, a really lovely movie my dad did uh, that also had Morgan Freeman. And Stephen Dorff's in that too, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Stephen's the lead, yeah. yeah. And he's like, you know how uh, Daniel Craig became the bad guy? I go, no, he's like, well, my dad said that Daniel Craig was was reading in the auditioning room as the bad guy, you know, the main Nazi that Stephen Dorff mm-hmm. goes against. And my dad just heard Daniel Craig read for it so many times, you know, opposite of the person auditioning for the good guy. And he was finally like, you know what? You sound great as a bad guy. Why don't you play him? Wow. And that's literally, if you go on IMDb, you look at Daniel Craig's first real movie role and it was The Power of One. And my dad was just like, yeah, you're great. He was very good at identifying talent early on, you know? Um, and also, like, I'll say this about directing with casting. You know, casting is such a huge part of being a successful director, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, you can shoot the greatest scene with the greatest acting and beautiful cinematography and all that stuff. But if the audience doesn't really believe that the actors are these characters that they're portraying, then you're, you know, you're kind of dead on arrival, no matter how mm-hmm. good the rest of the directing is. And so he... He told me some great stories about, you know, different people that he did and did not cast for a specific reason. He said Robert Downey Jr. auditioned for Daniel LaRusso and the Karate Kid and he didn't cast him. Mm-hmm. I go, wow, that's fascinating. Why is that? He goes, because Robert Downey Jr., he's he's Iron Man. He emits confidence. Mm-hmm. He's like Daniel LaRusso is is pure, you know, vulnerability. And uh, he was just like Robert Downey Jr. was was he's too powerful to play that character. And you're like, wow, that makes total sense. And so you see Ralph Macchio's LaRusso and it's the perfect casting me. And even with Mr. Miyagi, um, Pat Morita, when my dad first wanted that, um, uh, Jerry Weintraub, this is actually in Jerry Weintraub's doc, he talks about it. He was like, absolutely not. Pat Morita's a comedy guy. There's no way he can play Miyagi. And he's like, no, just trust me. Like, just let me audition him. And, and as soon as Weintraub, my dad went and auditioned him anyway, even though Jerry said absolutely not. And then once, as soon as he saw the tape, Jerry was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> Miyagi. Um, but he was he was always really good at that. He told me another one about eight seconds with Luke Perry, which is the true story about the bull rider. And he said Matthew McConaughey auditioned to be the bad guy in that, and he had to pass on McConaughey because he's like he's just too fantastic. Like we can't have the bad guy be so great that all of a sudden you know it, it, it You're might rooting be for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he had to turn down McConaughey too for being too great. So I always you know thought that was really fun stories but yeah i think casting is such a huge part of, of a director being successful um, you just have to know who to put in, in those places yeah. the characters because otherwise the audience doesn't buy it absolutely i was wondering uh, too I, I really do want to see this documentary uh did it solely focus on his career because i'm kind of curious about your father's early life and w- his relationship with his father because i was i was watching um an interview with uh, jane fonda on howard stern and she was saying a lot of negative behaviors are the language of the traumatized. So sometimes someone who maybe abandons their child, it's because they've had abandonment and it's just like a perpetual cycle. Did it get into anything like that at all? Or do you know anything about that? I believe there was a moment um, when Tracy, his ex-wife, that Bridget's mom mentioned about in the doc about how he was, you know, he he became a successful director after his father had passed. And she mentioned something, I think, uh, you know, again, I can't quote this verbatim. So forgive me, anyone listening, if it's inaccurate from what the doc said, but she said something along the lines of how he was still yearning for his, for true approval 
mm-hmm. and acceptance of you know who he is as as a man from his dad um because i think his dad was was you know uh, a tough critic and he his dad you know passed before he got to be joe and save the tiger and rocky and all these things that were huge successes early on so i think there was an element of that but yeah i, I mean he had a his dad was in his life but i think it's you know his dad was was tough his dad wasn't in, in entertainment but yeah there's probably i think there's an element to my dad being you know from what i've heard from you know other family members he was he was he was very loving dad he was tough mm-hmm. high expectations can be you know cold and critique and stuff and uh yeah i think that probably was passed on from his father and some of his behavior i'm sure is is a like, like you said, that quote is great on how, you know, he would act because of his upbringing. Yeah. It sounds like you had your dad's, just from you talking, it sounds like you had your dad's approval before he died. But what was the process to getting there? Because you also talked about resentment and, you know, all those years of not knowing him. So how did you get to that point of meeting again and then having those two really close years in, you know, possibly getting that approval before he passed. Oh, so like, so like what, what was the actual catalyst that... Yeah, to bring you guys back together. Because that's like, that's a lot of years that's gone by and that's a lot of resentment that would have been built up. So how do you get past that and make that connection? Um, so are, are you asking like, how did I emotionally just like open it up or, or like, Both. was there a specific... Effect? Both, well, like how did you emotionally open up and then how did, like, how did he eventually one day be like, yeah, I do want to have a connection with my son? So my, my mom, who I love dearly, who is now sober and the best she's ever been in my whole life. Um, but I'll, you know, I, I haven't shared this publicly, but the event that happened was basically um, my, my mom was at the peak of her alcoholism and she was getting very drunk and being very negative, full of vitriol to me and my friends and wouldn't leave my house, even though I had gotten her her own place out in, in Palm Springs, La Quinta area. And she was basically squatting at my house and she was getting drunk and acting crazy and giving me, you know, panic attacks. And uh, I was like, hey, me, me and my best friend uh, was with me at my house and we couldn't get her to leave. And I was like, I bought you your own house. You have a car. I'll get you an Uber there. Like, Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta, you can't be here. Like you're acting insane. And until you get sober, I don't want you around me. So she refused to leave. So I actually called the cops not to arrest her, but I was like, yeah. Hey, I don't know what else to do. My mom's squatting at my house and she has a house. Oh, so she needs to go there because I'm going to have a nervous breakdown if she won't leave my place. And the cops were like, okay, well, she's too drunk to drive. What, what do we do? They basically said, can she stay here until the morning? And I said, okay, but as long as she's telling you as officers, like she has to go in the morning. So I agreed to have the one final night. So the next day she's supposed to leave. She still hasn't left by the time I leave to actually see my friend's uh, film premiere. This thing was Devil's Carnival too. And while I was at the premiere, she, I guess, got drunk again, called my dad and left some Oscar worthy performance on his answering machine being like, my son resents me. He, you know, you have to meet him like this is, you know, gave this grandiose voicemail about, you know, all of this, I guess, you know, toxicity or whatever it was and begged him to, you know, meet me. And uh, I guess he heard that voicemail. I think he probably listened to it with Janny who is, Basically, his, his wife for the past 10 years, I don't know if they were married, but they lived together. They were two peas in a pod. Beautiful, beautiful, loving relationship. And I think Janie, she was amazing once I finally met him. Mm-hmm. And I think she said, hey, like, 
she's your son. What are you doing? I don't know the exact ins and outs of that conversation because I didn't hear it. But the next day, like, and I got home and my mom was like still drunk. She's like, your father called you. I'm like, what are you doing here? Go. And she's like, you're, you're going to meet your father. I just thought she was drunk ranting, yeah. but she knew somehow. And yeah, the, the, the next morning, I'll never forget it. I got, I remember exactly where it was when I heard the voicemail. I didn't even realize it. I actually had gone out to lunch and was outside of a place called Crave in Studio City. I was like, wait, what is that voicemail? And I, I a number I didn't recognize. And I listened to it. And sure enough, I was like, hey, uh, Ashley, it's John Appleton calling. I, I'd love to meet you. Give me a call back. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then we, we met the, the next day. So interesting that such a sad event was kind of the yeah. first domino to lead to a good event. It's very interesting how that works out. Light out of darkness. That's a big theme in a lot of stuff I, I write is is finding the light from darkness and that there, that's just the duality of life. Mm -hmm. Like there is no good without evil. There's no light without darkness. And that's like a, a theme that I'm really passionate about because I think it also helps inspire people and give hope when you're going through really horrible stuff. What, what can you take of that? You know, I used to believe everything happens for a reason. And then I met my dad and we talked about that. And he actually said something that really has stuck with me since. He goes, look, we want to believe that everything happens for a reason because humans like order. Mm -hmm. You know, but he says the truth is life is fucking chaos. And anyone who says, oh, I don't have any regrets. He goes, I'd like to meet that person because I think they're full of shit. Like we all have regrets. Yeah. Anyone who says I have no regrets in life. It's like, really, are you saying that to make yourself feel better to sound good? Or do you really not regret any decision you've ever made in your life? And I think that's kind of like a false one liner people give. And what I took from my dad talking about chaos and saying that humans like order. That's why we want to believe everything happens for a reason. So then we can mentally and emotionally give order to the chaos, I realized like, you know what? I don't think everything happens for a reason, but I do believe now that you can put a reason to everything that has happened mm -hmm. and that there's a way to grow from every moment in your life, no matter how bad the trauma is. You know, if you lose, I lost my best friend. We were in a car crash together when I was 17 oh, no. and his brother was in the car too. And we had you know, a DD and everything. And of course the driver was the one that was least injured, but you know, my best friend and my, you know, next best friend's brother died in this accident when we were 17. I can't go, Oh dude, don't worry. I know you just lost your brother, but everything happens for a reason, man. You know, you can't, no. you can't consult people. You know, when, when, when a child dies of cancer, there's just that when we, when we lose Cameron at such a young age, when he was yeah. such an incredible spirit, you know, you can't, you can't say everything happens for a reason. To me, that's tone deaf bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to look into a deeper spiritual understanding of, of, of what traumatic, horrific things happen in life. I, there's no other way I can, you know, go to sleep at night thinking that it's, it's anything else, that there has to be a deeper spiritual, you know, journey of, of all that we go through. But I think that everything happens for a reason. One liner is just kind of filler. So it, it seems like, you know, you're using creativity in your filmmaking now to kind of attribute meaning to bullshit that has happened and things like that, as you say. But before you got into filmmaking or before you opened Sumerian Records, what was your outlet? Playing in a band. Mm -hmm. What kind of music yeah. do you play? Heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> I could have guessed that. <laughs> I don't know, punk, heavy metal. But I, yeah. I, I, I want to know about this uh, meeting and at the end of your father's life, did it feel like he was your dad? And to your dad, did it feel like you were his son? And in other words, like, were you 
in the will, not so much as like a salacious, like how much money did you get question, but more like as a gesture, did he put you in his will before he died? Or was it not that type of relationship? Wow. (laughs) Amazing that you asked that question. So I'll never forget when I first had him over to my house for dinner and um, I could tell he was so blown away because I have a big, beautiful house on Mulholland Drive and I did it all on my own and no help from him. And I'm sure he puts that in a comparison um, to, you know, this, the siblings and their, I guess, financial level of success mm-hmm. that they've had growing up with the Oscar winning father and a beautiful Beverly Hills house and all these things. And then he's like, oh, wow, look, my estranged son, who I wasn't in his life at all, who has like deep trauma from how I neglected him is the one that like completely made it on his own and has all these, you know, wonderful things going on. And um, so I could tell, you know, he made a comment. He's like, of course, this is how it works out. Me and you don't meet until the third act and the third act of life and Mm -hmm. you've done this all on your own. And now, you know, we have, um, you know, we're just meeting now and he's like, I'm almost 80 and you're already, you know, a full grown adult. There, There was definitely, you know, I think really bittersweet moments of him being proud that regardless if he had nothing to do with it consciously or subconsciously, I'm still his kid. Mm-hmm. And he, and, and the similarities of just so many things, me back to mannerisms and idiosyncrasies and just thoughts and things were, um, were very, were very simpatico. But as far as the will, I mean, that's actually like a pretty, it's a pretty interesting question because well, first I'll say this. I, I, haven't, I didn't get a penny from uh, my dad past turning 18 to present day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the will situation when he was passing, because we thought we had a, many more months than we did. The, the, the cancer just kind of came out of nowhere and then was all guns of blazing and, and its strength on his body. But, you know, I'll try and say this the, the quickest way I can. And I stand by all of this is completely factual. The will, his attorney came to me and said, hey, so you're not in the will, but your dad is going to write you a letter. He well, actually didn't say he's going. He said there is a letter that explains why. And I go, okay. I don't care. I mean, I don't need the money. Like the other kids needed more than me. I'm good. But then when he passed, the letter doesn't exist. And in the will, it refers to me. The will was like from like 91. It refers to me as a girl because my name's Ashley. Mm-hmm. It refers to me as a girl and says that he had no relationship with me. So obviously one, I'm not a girl. And two, we had a lovely relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's an old outdated will. And the letter doesn't exist of him explaining why I'm not in it. Now, hmm. the attorney says, oh, well, he didn't get a chance to write it, but it's something along the lines of because, you know, he paid for your schooling and you do well, you know, he, he thinks like, you know, it's okay for you not to be in there. And I go, whatever. I don't give a shit. I like to make my own money. I don't need yeah. no handouts. Right? But the one thing that was really kind of fucked up about the whole the way it all played out is that Janny said that my dad left me the Oscar for Rocky. Really? Janny's who... Yeah. Uh, it basically his, his wife of 10 years and the will is left to my two half brothers, my half sister and Janny. So those are the four mm-hmm. and, and that the, the trust yeah. has laid out in the will. Who got the Oscar? Well, so here, here's what happened. So because 
the will doesn't clarify it. It's basically, it says all the memorabilia is left to a lottery system. And so my dad had given me a lot of stuff even while he was still alive. He gave me his DGA medal for that he won for directing Rocky. He gave me like scripts, a lot of different like just cool, you know, mm-hmm. tapes, all sorts of stuff that is very unique to his career. But it says basically that all this stuff goes to a lottery system to the four other beneficiaries of the will. So I'm like, okay, I guess we'll, you know, uh, I, I'd love to discuss this because Janie said, you know, my dad said mm-hmm. Ashley deserves, it. you know, he's, he's the underdog that did it all. And it should go to him. And, you know, you can't, there's no monetary value to it. Obviously it's illegal to sell an Oscar. You can't, you know, mm-hmm. it's just all about the sentimental power of it. So I, you know, talked to an attorney and I'm like, Hey, I don't think they're just going to give it to me. Janie's saying this, but it's like, it's, it's up with the trustees. And they're like, well, the will is inaccurate. So, you know, attorney was like in California law, you're his offspring. So technically you're entitled to an equal cut of everything per, you know, California law. It's like, well, I don't care about the money. I don't mm-hmm. want to get into that. Like I just, if Janie's saying that he told me I get to keep the Oscar, I believe that she's telling the truth. Yeah. And so the people that handle the the, the will, the, the trust, they both say, hey, as long as you don't contest the validity of the will, because obviously it says I'm a girl and that I didn't know my dad. So it's clear that the will wasn't up to date. And mm-hmm. the letter that was supposed to explain why I'm not in it doesn't exist. So that's basically like three strikes of BS on yeah. the validity this whole thing but it's fine I'll, I'll trust everyone that it's all true and they say hey we're you know as long as you don't contest the will everyone's agreed that you can get the oscar so after the 120 day window passes of when you can contest the will they say oh by the way one of your siblings has changed their mind uh, and they sent me an email and he's saying that they, now they they decided that they don't so i'm just like wow so this are you are you able to talk to that sibling anymore yeah, I called him and left him a message to call and discuss it with me and they didn't get back. And then I even proposed like, well, what don't we just do like a timeshare? Like, I don't. Yeah. Like, let's just like, you know, it'd be nice to like have it on a mantle when you're in like writing zone or you're trying to get inspired yeah. and just have the, the sentimental power of it. And I was like, why don't we just like split it up and we can each can have it a few months out of the year. If there's like a wedding or some event or some momentous, you know, gathering or occasion, it can be there as part of, you know, the magic of the evening. 100%. And it sounded like that was going to happen. And then again, like they went dark on the attorney that was trying to work it all together. And finally I just threw my hands up and said like, you know what? Fuck all y'all. Like I'll make, I'll get my own one day. If y'all want to be haters, like that's on you. Like I have a clear conscience with this and a loving heart. And obviously you guys are caught up in some other stuff and I don't know what to say about that. And so I just basically threw my hands up. You know, a lot of my friends were like, dude, you should like contest this. You can say you're fraudulently induced, mm-hmm. you know, to not sign the will, which it, which is accurate. They told me I was going to get it. So I didn't contest the will. And then they said, oh, by the way, now that the time has expired, you're not getting it. So I still could sue at any point and make a big case out of it and do a bunch of press. But to me, I just, I'd rather just focus on my own stuff and like lesson learned about getting things in writing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I hate to say this because I'm such a, like a handshake guy, like, I love how Prince was like, I don't sign a recording contract. <laughs> no, but like now I tell people, it's like no matter how close you think it is, they're your best friend, they're your boss, they're your employee, they're your roommate, they're your writing partner, they're your producing partner, like paper it up. Don't leave anything to be um, like this. Because yeah. when they promised me that, I could have said, well, cool, then sign this right now. And I won't do it. And I didn't do it because it's family. And I'm like, yeah. I'm so like, you know, elated that we've all come together and, you know, I thought it was a happy ending 
for the entire relationship of, of the family. And yeah, so I kind of got, I kind of got screwed on that. So long story short, I don't got the Oscar and I don't got a penny, but I got his last name and I got a bunch of lovely memories and wisdom that he's given me, um, which I could speak for hours about all the wisdom I did get from him when, when we became close and started going, you know, to lunches and dinners several mm-hmm. times. Yeah, family tree, huh? Burn that fucker to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a forest fire out here in California. (laughs) It's wild how much people change when money's introduced and things, legacy, and things like that. And it it really does change people, and it can make them fucking evil when you think that you have something so good. And after all this, like you have so much experience here, you know, just with family trauma. Uh, before and after your dad's passing, do you ever want a family? Like, has this impacted how you think about your future? Like, do you want kids? Oh, yeah. I wanted kids much, much earlier on in my 30s. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I basically had two, three, three plus year relationships. One was, yes, the answer, <laughs> the answer. Yes. But yeah, I, I wanted kids and I hope to have kids, you know, soon. I'm actually, cons- I'm probably going to actually adopt uh, first. Uh, I'm looking at adopt like even like as a single dad, like I could adopt a three, four, five year old and probably do just fine. Like the early infants on it's your tough. own. It's oh, we're dealing with that right now. I thought we should have adopted a three year old. But I look at like I'm just so fortunate and I'm like, you know what? Like I want to give back and I, I know mm. I'm going to be a great dad. And it's, it's, I can't, you know, to see a, a three or four year old kid growing up in foster care when like I got, you know, time yeah. and love and you know resources like so I, I think i will probably adopt at least one if not two kids and then also have some biological children but um yeah big big fan of kids and very excited to to be a father and hopefully have a big family okay ash we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that we are supported by tushy an unconventional yet amazing gift for those in your life tushy is a portable bidet attachment it is a portable bidet attachment, and I didn't know the impact it would have on my life until we got it and started using it. It is significant. But I don't think it's that portable. Once it's on there, it's on there pretty good. It becomes a part of your home. Oh, it has become part of our home. It has become a part of our lives. It has become a part of our daily routine. And I cannot tell you, moms who are about to give birth or who have recently given birth or are pregnant, whatever, you need it for those postpartum and pregnancy hemorrhoids. I'm telling you right now. And often you hear, oh, it pays for itself. This product actually does pay for itself just because of all the toilet paper you save. 100%, and it's only $79. However, to get 10% off of that, you can go to hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree, and this code is available in Canada and the US. Again, for 10% off, go to hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree. Everyone has an ass, and everyone deserves a tushy. And in my opinion, everyone needs a tushy, but we're also supported by bravado designs the makers of the world's best and most comfortable nursing bras second best most comfortable nursing second bra. best kidding bravado does make the best bras i use them religiously i discovered them when i first was pregnant with lucy and then even after i was done nursing i continued to wear them because they are just so comfortable however bravado now has an everyday collection which have no clips are not necessarily for somebody who is nursing and they have no clips and you can wear them regardless if you are nursing, if you're not nursing, if you've never had a kid, if you are, you know, your kids are 30 years old, whatever, they are for 
everybody and they are amazing. You can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head over to the Canadian website and get access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com and promo code thisfamilytree20. But let's get back to that interview with Ash. I wanted to close kind of at least my last question about Paradise City. Now, your life story is just so different than most and you've gone through so much adversity. And then you cast someone like Cameron Boyce who seems to, up until his tragic passing, he had the most idyllic family situation in life. Like we just talked to his father. It seemed a polar opposite of the things you're just telling us. Mm -hmm. So did he have one hell of an audition or like... Like he was a Disney star also, which you think would work against him uh, to land a role like this. What was it about him that you said, this man can play me or this young man can play me? I just thought he was such a brilliant actor and I mm-hmm. watched a lot of his work and also just interviews and, you know, videos of him, you know, just speaking uh, outside of acting. And I just thought he was such a brilliant individual. And so, yeah, we... I met him and I was like, this kid's fantastic. And that was it. And I'll say this too, like his parents, you know, especially at that age, you can, you know, kids behavior or young talents behavior is so, it's so apparent how they've been parented. Mm -hmm. And he was so brilliant as a, as an actor and performer, but also uh, as a person and a professional that it was just undeniable that his parents were amazing parents because he was just, such a great kid and so well adjusted to fame and working in the industry and just you could there was no way his parents weren't a hundred percent just brilliant raising him because you could it was reflected in how he carried himself and acted and just his whole aura uh, was so was so magical And, and also like obviously the scenes that he brings to life in such a magnificent way are so polar opposite to what his upbringing was so it just again like you're saying because you can tell by his dad and my story it's so different that just that's just a testament to how brilliant of an actor he is Mm -hmm. i mean you see the performances as the story goes on in the later episodes and it gets much more emotional and and, um, volatile um as he's facing you know the the drama with his his mother and father in the story he's he's absolutely fantastic how many seasons is this going to last if it was up to you, uh, you know, six, nice. maybe more. I'm gonna have a six season arc already mm-hmm. mapped out, but yeah, there's definitely it. De- it's definitely not all buttoned up at the end of season one. I mean, I think the finale will make you go, "Oh my god, we have to see what happens next." So, no, I'm very awesome. excited. And uh, Ash, where can listeners go? Like, where are they gonna be able to see Paradise City? And where can they go to follow you? Check out your work, things like that. I think we're going to be announcing the home and the release date before the end of the month. Um, so the best place to go would just to be like the Instagram at Paradise City. That'll be the first place we we post the official news. And then um, uh, my Instagram is just my name. So it's very simple. Name of the show for that. My name at Ash Allison. And um, yeah, like I said, I think in the next two weeks we'll be making some announcements and um I believe it's going to be, you know, on a platform that's very easy to access mm. all around the world. So, well, with 17 right. million views on that trailer, I'm <laughs> guessing a lot of people are quite excited about it. Honestly, you'd be surprised, like how we we've definitely had some some good news, but it wasn't like you know, I, you read all these stories about how Stranger Things was passed on by like 15 mm. places and the other. Like, 
the big reason I made it on my own was because I didn't think that Hollywood would greenlight it. They don't anything that's not like a rock biopic, like a Bohemian Rhapsody or Rock and Man, which are both brilliant films. Like Hollywood's not like, oh yeah, like like rock music. That yeah. we're in. It's not. It, it's it's not. It's just it's not. And I think because Violent Roadies faltered and didn't, you know, weren't successes. It, 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 I was like, this is going to be next to impossible to get anyone to greenlight this mm-hmm. based on like script or a concept so that's why i was able to to put the resources together from within the music business and actually make it as an independent film but it's an actual series so yeah you know we're i mean we're system breaking in that sense like the the networks like to be in control own the ip control every every piece of it this Mm -hmm. writer this director and they really you know that's that's part of the system that hasn't been broken now you can make an indie film and you get a two four to buy it, and all of a sudden you're you know the biggest thing in the world, which is so inspiring. Or same thing like if you, if you make an indie film and you get into a Sundance or a South by mm-hmm. and it gets a standing ovation, you don't have to be at the whim of uh, the traditional Hollywood system to to make history. With TV, there has been like web series that have gone on to then become really great hit shows like High Maintenance. I think Two Broke Girls is another one. But I don't know anything that's like had this level of production value that started indie that then became a TV series. Mm. I've, I've done a lot of digging around to try and find <laughs> comparisons, but we definitely took a really big swing because it's, I mean, this is like, you know, it's very high level production. I mean, it's not, you know, a hundred million dollars an episode or like, I just watched like the pod of like Lovecraft Country. I mean, those yeah. shows are so big budget and so magnificent with the sets and everything that they can do with those budgets but yeah i mean this is this is definitely far from a low budget uh you know production that's for sure so we're, we're really excited to finally get it out and let the world see I'm super right. pumped to see i'm yeah. just curious though your character that cameron boyce is playing what's going to happen if it does go to a season two are you going to replace the character or write his storyline out no we'll do, we'll just have to yeah we'll have to recast him mm-hmm. and i think that the audience will be emotionally prepped for that and it's not like you know, it's happening and they don't mm-hmm. know it's, it's you know, yeah. I, I think people are just gonna have to accept it. He, it's too big of a storyline to just take away. I think if, if you were to ask the audience, they'd be like, no, we want to continue to see what happens with Simon, like put another, you know, great young actor yeah. in there and just make the best of the situation. Well, Ash, truly, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. This was a fantastic conversation. It was, I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, we're gonna our, our kids are up from their nap. So. <laughs> They've been screaming for five minutes. <laughs> so we're gonna have to go and uh, parent. But uh, thank you really so much. I really yeah, this was it. great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. And hopefully, um, we'll be talking and maybe sometime next year after the Hell show's yeah. out. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Good luck with everything. All right. See you, Ash. Have a great night. That was Ash. That conversation has left me in like a state of shock that he went through that in that whole journey that he took with his dad and his brothers and sisters and how everything was, you know, resolved with his dad and left unresolved with his siblings that just, well, it was kind of resolved with the siblings. I guess they showed, they showed their true colors and it wasn't a happy resolve, but there was a resolve. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice when people do really reveal themselves, even if it is for the, the worst, because sometimes that's for the best. Yeah, I guess it just gives you closure that way. But I I find his life so fascinating and the honesty with which he speaks about everything I found so refreshing. And uh, yeah, again, I I hope you all can see why that was a favorite conversation of ours. But I I just felt so emotional from it. 
Yeah, but now moving from one interview to the next, we're going to go, this this is a bit of connective tissue here because this is Cameron Boyce's father. Victor was so nice to talk oh to. Gosh. He's just, he's very pleasant, much like everyone says his, his son Cameron was. And I think we should just get right to it. Yep, let's do it. But first, Alex, tell us who we are supported by. We're supported by The Bear Home. They make all natural products that are safe for you, your home, and the planet. The Bear Home has all-purpose cleaners, dish soap, hand soap, laundry detergent, wool dryer balls, and kitchen washcloths that are actually super, super beautiful. If these products did not even work to clean my hands, if it did not work to clean the counter, I would still have them in my house because they smell so good. <laughs> they and smell I'm, so good. I'm not kidding. When anybody is using our bergamot and lime dish soap, the entire bottom floor smells beautiful like we're on vacation in the Keys, and I'm, I'm here for it. And even when our house is messy, it smells clean. Everything is scented using 100% organic essential oils. The products also come in glass bottles, and you can buy a convenient at-home refill boxes to keep yourself full up. As we all know, refilling reduces use of single-use plastics, which is very important to Shane and I. Wouldn't so- it be to keep yourself filled up? Keep yourself full up. Okay, keep going. I don't know. Filled up. Keep going. If you want to shop biodegradable Canadian-made cleaning products, go to thebearhome.ca and use promo code THISFAMILYTREE20 for 20% off. This offer is available in Canada and the U.S. And again, that is thebearhome.ca and promo code THISFAMILYTREE20. But we are also supported by... Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard. Like, really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that is absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 different fun, rotating designs, and each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15% off of any add-ons, so that's the bubble bath, the wipes, or the diaper ash cream. And everything I've used seems to have been a cut above. Everything you've used? Yeah, I, I use... Well, I'm putting, I'm not wearing the, okay. (laughs) So to get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved. This offer is for Canadians only. And again, that is hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. Don't forget, that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. And again, this promo is applicable to Canadians only. But let's get to our interview with Victor Boyce. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We've really been looking forward to speaking with you. And, you know, Shane and I are parents. We have two daughters ourselves. And what you've gone through in your story with Cameron it's something that you don't anticipate as a parent when you are first holding your child. And it's truly every parent's worst nightmare. And I, I'd hope for you to, you know, just tell us a little bit about Cameron and, you know, your your life with him, just to start off. Well, that's a long story, obviously. You know, Cameron's my firstborn, my only son. You know, from when he was very little, like in preschool, he started showing signs of, um, you know, every parent says their kid stands out, but I never thought he stood out. Other people just always <laughs> tell me that he stood out. 
So I had no idea, you know, I didn't know I was a new parent and he was little and, you know, all kids are cute and every parent thinks their kid is the cutest and the best one. But he started doing things like in preschool, he was doing little dance shows. And what would end up happening is all the kids would stop doing what they were doing. They would watch him because he was like so amazing at it. And it just kind of went from there. He went from dancing in preschool to doing like karate. And then he got some, another kid that was in his preschool did a commercial. And so his uncle actually said, Hey, you know, Cameron might be good at that. So we got an agent, took forever to book something. He booked the commercial and then he just went crazy. <laughs> and, and it kind of changed my life because you know, to go to these commercial auditions, you have to take time off work. Mm-hmm. And he kept booking more and more and more and more. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of crazy. I don't know if I can keep taking off time from work. And then what happened was he booked the movie Mirrors. He was like eight years old. And come to find out that Mirrors was going to shoot in Romania. Oh, my gosh. And at the time, I'm like, Romania? Isn't that where Dracula lives? That's like (laughs) Pennsylvania. (laughs) And not only that, but we had to be there for a month. So at that time, I had to make a big decision like, okay, are we going to really keep doing this? Or is this going to be a fluke? Mm -hmm. But we went to Romania, we spent a month, and then not only did Cameron do a good job, everybody did on the movie, but then I realized, wow, this is something that he really wants to do. I am not a Hollywood person. I never had any aspirations to be an actor or a singer. I can't dance. I don't have any skills like my son did. And so it was strange to me that he was so sought after and and good at what he did. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was beautiful about it for me as a dad was I got to spend so much time with my son. You know, when I was little growing up, I saw my dad on the weekends. My mom and dad both worked. They went to work. I was at a babysitter of school every day for my entire, you know, from kindergarten through high school. Yeah. But with me and Cameron, we kind of became not just father and son, but like working partners. You know, as he grew in the business, I went from just being dad to being dadager to being manager to hiring a manager to you know, all the steps that, you know, you go through as in the entertainment world, you need to have a team around you. Mm -hmm. You can't just be a a one man show. And so as Cameron got busier and busier, the team got bigger and bigger and it became a family business, you know, not something I ever expected or or wanted ever, Mm -hmm. but it just kind of grew organically. Like I said, the, the, the most beautiful thing about it was from the time Cameron was say seven to when he passed, him and I had a bond and a business relationship that that was just something that I could never dream up. And it was a beautiful thing. And I got to spend so much time with my son. We traveled the world together because of him. I would have never gone to Romania. Like, why would I go to Romania? <laughs> so, he, you know, because of him, I got to go to Romania, to Portugal, to Spain, to, uh, to Germany, mm-hmm. to South America. We went to Peru, went to Machu Picchu. And all these things because of him, because of his his talent and luck and timing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not just about talent. You have to have some luck. Timing's involved. You have to be flexible. Like for me, I basically had to stop working, which was a huge risk. Yeah. But, but because he was so, I kept, I used to ask him all the time, Cameron, are you sure you still want to do this? Because, you know, it's really hard for me keep taking off from work. And he would say, yes. And I would have to believe them because, 
you know, what was I going to do? Like, I can't say you don't want, you can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so the sacrifice for me as a dad was huge and it was scary, but it, it worked out for the best. I think a lot of people have these uh, big dreams about their kids being in show business. And they realize that you have to have time. You know, you'll go on. We went on auditions for maybe a year before he booked anything. And I was like, why are we doing this? This is stupid. But once he booked the first thing, he never stopped. Now, that is a rarity. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen kids book uh, one or two things and then they never book again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. It's not because they're not cute or not talented. It's just things just don't fall into place. Yeah. And like I said, you know, talent and looks and, 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 and these things are important, but there's a lot of luck. There's a lot of luck involved. We were very lucky once he booked mirrors that he booked a couple of more movies after that, because really he didn't start getting a lot of work well, I shouldn't say that. He didn't get a lot of attention until he booked Jesse. Mm-hmm. Once he booked Jesse, that's when everything just went like this. He, he had been consistently booking commercials. And you can he did like 30 commercials, which is a lot. But those things just kind of fizzle out. Mm-hmm. But once you are on a, a series, that's when things get serious. And that's when it really became a full-time job because... Now, here's the huge commitment you have to make. So when you're on a series, now you can't go to regular school. Now you have to make a huge decision. Do I want my kid to be in a normal school with the kids and whatnot? And it's not just my decision. It was his decision as well. It's like, dude, you are going to be out of your social network. Mm -hmm. He had been in regular school from seventh grade. And then once he booked Jesse, he couldn't continue. You can't go to school and be on a series because you have to be on set all day. So then you're on set. People would say, well, wasn't he homeschooled? That's kind of a, a misnomer. It's not homeschooled. There's studio teachers that you work with and you go to class on set. So that's a whole other weirdness. And it's like, you know, you feel kind of bad that they're missing out on one thing. But at the same time, now they're having this tremendous experience with a one-on-one instruction mm-hmm. and they're on a TV show. And they're learning stuff and they're getting opportunities to travel and whatnot. I mean, with Jesse, we met the president. We went to the White House. We met Barack and Michelle. Wow. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. And, and these are things that wouldn't have happened had he just stayed at the school he was at. Mm. Did it ever make you nervous? Like you talk about, you know, he gave up the opportunity to be in a public school with like peers and opted for a homeschool, well, not a homeschool, but like a set school, and just little differences like that, like as a parent not being, you know, integrated in the Hollywood scene, did things like that ever make you nervous initially? And were you ever kind of worried about that child actor cliche? Absolutely. Listen, let me tell you a story about child actors. I won't mention (laughs) the name, but I knew one of the most infamous child actors when he was a child, when he was on the show, and the whole cast had tremendous downfalls mm. and bad experiences mm-hmm. and the whole Hollywood thing with drugs and, and sex and rock and roll and the whole thing. And I didn't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Personally, I never wanted Cameron to go into this, but the thing that kept me going was that people were telling me it's, it's whatever happens with your child is because of what's happening in the house. Right. It's not necessarily Hollywood. Don't get me wrong. Hollywood is cut. Rope. Yeah. But, Still, what's happening with your child is what's what you're bringing to it. The homing, the home, the grounding from the house, mm-hmm. the values as parents. These are the things that 
your child's going to bring to set. Now, they can be influenced by other people and, and things that are around. But if you're around and you're and you're watching and you're paying attention, you can avoid a lot of the pitfalls that you will see people going through. Yeah. And, and I know this for a fact because I know people that have done it one way. And I know people have done it the other way. And it's not hard to figure out, but it is scary. Yes. Oh, I can imagine. And it seemed like Cameron had oh, so yeah. many like inherent qualities, though, that, you know, because he just seemed like such a good person, an empathetic person that helped him stay away from that. And I know you being on set with him a lot and, you know, being that good role model in his life would have helped him and helped him stay away from things like that. I saw a really funny funny video of uh, everybody on set calling you smooth jazz. And you could just yes. see the camaraderie <laughs> that you guys all had. And yes. it was so much yes. more than just a father-son relationship. And you mentioned that it was like the family business. Did Cameron feel that? Right. Like, did he see himself as like the head of the family business? No, no, <laughs> he did not. He did not. What he Cameron was not interested in the business end of it at all. Mm-hmm. Cameron was purely an artist. As he got a little older, when he was turned 18, he started getting more and more interested in the what I call the back end contracts, right? You know, negotiating studios, these types of things. But most of the time, from when he was little to maybe 16, 17, he wasn't really concerned with that so much. He knew it was a thing, but he concentrated on his craft. And he was very serious about his craft later in his life. He didn't want to be just seen as a Disney kid. He wanted to be seen as as an actual actor with some acting chops. And and that's where he focused. No, he wasn't big on on, on the business end of it. Although he was aware, you know, he was super cerebral. Mm -hmm. That wasn't his thing at all. And he wasn't like a materialistic guy. He had a couple of toys, but he wasn't materialistic. I was just talking about this with someone else last night, comparing him to Adam Sandler who, as you know, is made a bajillion dollars. But Adam walks around in scruffy clothes. He doesn't wear a watch. He's not all about showiness. And you're not going to see Adam pull up in a mink coat and a Rolls Royce and all that stuff. You're just not going to see it because he wasn't that guy. And that's kind of how Cameron was. So no, he wasn't about the, the business as far as wanting to be deep into it. He just wanted to understand it so that he, you know, he was well-rounded. When you hear about child actors and uh, passing at a young age, usually the tragedy is almost like self-inflicted with drugs or or, or something like that. Absolutely. River River Phoenix. Yeah. And there's been a lot of kids that have taken their own lives or are done stupid stuff with drugs. And, and unfortunately, one of the first things that happened when Cameron died was people were speculating, like, oh, how did he die? Like, was it an overdose? Like, like they just immediately went negative. Mm-hmm. That was very hurtful because that's not... Cameron was at all. And again, he wasn't, I, I don't want to stereotype other people or actors, but he wasn't stereotypical Hollywood yeah. at all. So because he wasn't, people were drawn to him. Like other people in the business used to tell me. And again, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about the business, you know, early on. They would say, your son is, is different. He's so nice and sweet. Like, like, they, like every other kid was a devil. Like what, what is, <laughs> what do you mean? But as I got, went on, I, I realized, wow, he is different from a lot of the other people in the business in the sense that he's so not about trying to be a star, not trying to be famous. He was just liking what he did. Mm-hmm. He, he was just all about the art. He had fun. He was naturally funny. So when he got to tell jokes, that's great. When he got to show off his physical skills, that was really great because he was super athletic. He flips, you do basketball, anything they needed him to do, he could do. In fact, like 
on Jesse, they used to do a lot of stunts where they would put him on a wire. And then he's like, I don't want this wire. I can do a backflip. Wow. But because of, you know, uh, safety laws and, and, and child labor laws, they had to do it. But like, he didn't even want that <laughs> because he could do it without the wire. So, you know, he just enjoyed what he did. And he, he was not only was he funny and, and cerebral, but physically he was gifted. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not that guy. So it's <laughs> just weird. Like where all that came from, but he just enjoyed what he did. And, and, and it wasn't about. I want to be a star. I want to be famous. And, and a lot of times it kind of bugged him, you know, when people were like, would, would treat him. He said, man, sometimes people treat me like I'm a zoo animal. And he did not like that. He did not like being like objectified at all. An actor, one, a different actor, older actor told him, you know, you have to embrace your fans no matter what, because what's going to happen is they're going to grow with you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, on Jesse, he started at 11. So a lot of his fans were 11 and they grew up with him. Mm-hmm. And they're, that's, that's their era. That's their generation. And as they get older, they're going to grow and, and mature along with him. You, ha- you have to embrace whatever it is that they're, they're trying to give you. And Corbin Blue, Corbin Blue, I'm sorry. Corbin Blue is who told him that. And that changed Cameron's life mm-hmm. because what, rather than the fans starting to be a burden, they became another sense of inspiration. Well, I I can see that I was looking at the last photo that Cameron posted on his Instagram. So, you know, over a year ago, and it was so touching to me while I was looking at it, because, you know, the last 100 comments were done within the half an hour that I was looking at. It's like every day, it's getting more comments, more people saying, I love you, Cameron, I miss you, Cameron. And I, I was curious about those fans, do they still play a part in your life? 100%. You know, it was weird when when, the day Cameron passed on his Instagram, he had about 8 million followers, which was already mind boggling to me. And from that minute on, it just kept getting, I don't even know what it is now. Last time I looked, I think it was 15 million or I I don't even know. I don't look anymore. But since he passed, his influence and his reach has only gotten bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't understand it at first, but, you know, people just love him. They love him and, 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 you know, they want to hold on to his memory and they post stuff and they put me in it and they, and they put his mom in, they put his sister in all the time. But, you know, it's, it's kind of, of as overwhelming as the word, but it's just so much worldwide, worldwide, worldwide. There's fan clubs in Brazil. There's fan clubs in Japan. There's fan clubs in Peru, there's fan clubs in Germany, in France, all over the world. And, and, you know, I just think, man, that's just my son. You know, when, when he was born, I didn't think that he was going to be some kind of international icon. Like, how can you know that? And it's just, it's just, uh, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain, but, but the fans definitely are still a humongous part of, of my life and my wife's life. You know, we appreciate them to death. Mm-hmm. We really do. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people want to reach out and touch us a lot. And, and sometimes it could be, you know, a little too much because it's like we get overwhelmed. But I will never, ever, ever take the fans for granted. He did seem so wise beyond his years. And it almost seemed like in, in some weird way, like he he was talking about uh, leaving a legacy behind and how we should all leave things behind because uh, there was this Denzel Washington quote where when we die, uh, there's not a U-Haul 
following us. Right. And so in other right. words, we can't take that touched him. We that's can't right. yeah. So we can't take physical items with us to the grave. And that's why he wasn't you know. materialistic. He realized that early on, like, you know, you can have all this stuff. Oh, and at the end of the day, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. You know, what, what's going to be more important is is how you affected people. And did you did you touch them in a positive way? Did you like to use a basketball metaphor use you know, do you make your team better? Mm-hmm. That's what he was about. That's what he was about. You know, that's why I think we have to this day, we have such a good team because it was worth it mentally and emotionally to work with him because he would get that payback in the form of true gratitude and and respect and reciprocation. Like I said, when he was little and people would tell me like how, like your son, he's so polite and, 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 you know, he thinks about people and he says hi to me, like, you know, Cameron was really big on like being nice to the crafty people, being nice to the grips, being nice to the electricians, and not just being nice because he thought it was a good thing to do, but he was just genuinely nice to them. And they would all come like, wow, most people don't even say hi to me. And your son knows my name, knows my kid's name, took time to take a picture, you know, whatever it was. So, you know, those things came back to him tenfold. And not that he was looking for it. That's just genuinely how he was. Mm-hmm. Right. So so when he gave that speech, and that speech was, I believe, he won an award at the Thirst Foundation. It was for the pioneering spirit. Right. Yeah. So he won that award and he gave that beautiful speech. Did he know he had epilepsy at that time? And if so, oh, did... Yeah. Oh, he did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was oh, he yeah, worried exactly. that he was going to pass? Is that why he was... Oh, no, 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 no. Now, listen... Him passing was a complete shock, blindside to everybody. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was never a thought that that was an issue. Cameron, we, we knew he had epilepsy since he was 17. He had his first seizure at 16. When you have your first seizure, you're not considered epileptic. If you have more than that, then, then you are. So, of course, he knew. Mm-hmm. But what killed him, we never even heard of it until after the coroner told us that's what he died of. So he died of SUDEP, sudden, unexpected death in epilepsy. And, and we didn't know anything about that. And, and that's why we're, as a foundation, we're so focused on research and raising funds and awareness for SUDEP because this is something that is lethal that, like, we didn't know, even though Cameron had up, we, we never even heard of that. So no, there was never a thought that he could die from it. We I personally knew it was going to be an issue in his life, but it was not something that dominated his life because he, he had so few, you know, a lot of people, there's different types of epilepsy. People have seizures every day. Multiple seizures is horrible, horrible, horrible. And a lot of people are developmentally and emotionally disabled because of epilepsy. Cameron was not. He was brilliant. He was athletic. He was joyful. He lived a great life. He had a seizure once like every 12 to 14 months. Mm -hmm. So a lot of time ago by before in between the seizures, which was not common. And um, so I, like I said, I knew his, his seizures were going to be an issue in his life. I never thought it would kill him ever, ever, ever. So no. Is there anything like knowing what you know now in the nature of his death, is there anything that could have been done to prevent it? Because in the middle of the night, I would think, what do you do? He tend to only have the seizures at nighttime. The only thing you can do is try to reduce the amount of seizures. So there, there's, 
You have to get proper sleep. You have to stay away from drugs and alcohol. But but actually right now, there's nothing you could do to prevent it completely mm-hmm. because we don't completely understand what causes it. So until we completely understand what causes it, it's electrical stuff in your brain. It's something to do with your with your spinal cord. And that's why we need research because mm-hmm. they truly don't understand how it happens. You know, epilepsy is extremely complicated. Like, for example, if Cameron had the types of seizures where he sees a lot, there's different medications that you can experiment with to reduce seizures. You want to reduce the amount of seizures you have, and that reduces your risk of pseudo. But since Cameron's seizures were so far and few between, there was no real way to experiment with, with his seizure medication because it seemed to be working. Yeah. So, you know, it's really gut-wrenching to me because we were completely ignorant about pseudo. Like I said, I didn't, I never even heard of it. Well, yeah, I have to say, so I, I've probably had more seizures even than Cameron. Um, I had seizures from the time that I was two months old to eight years old. And then after that, I get these complicated migraines where I experience paralysis. And I don't even think that my parents, and I was having seizures every couple months. I don't even think that they had heard of SUDEP. And I grew up thinking that, you know, it's the seizures aren't a big deal as long as, you know, you get me on your side and people are right. around to ensure certain things that I'll be okay. Like, I, I'm going to have to ask my parents because I don't think that they have heard of that. And I was curious about like what the Cameron Boys Foundation is doing to help with that. Is it awareness? Is it, you know, financial help to help with a cure? All of that. So what, what we're doing, obviously, I'm not a seizure expert or yeah. epilepsy expert, obviously. But what we're doing is we're partnering with the Epilepsy Foundation and a couple of other foundations. So we're, we're going to be doing research grants. Mm-hmm. Our, our thing is going to be because we have a platform and a voice because of my son and because there's empathy for him and also because people love him, we've been able to get a lot of exposure for our foundation very quickly. And because of that, we're getting donations. And so we're going to use that to partner with people who are experienced and who who do have a lot more connections to scientists, doctors, Mm -hmm. and epileptologists. You know, our thing is awareness mostly because we're not scientists or doctors, but we're going to partner with scientists and doctors for research. Mm -hmm. That's our thing. And and I was going to say with you, like Cameron only ever had five seizures his entire life. Yeah. His first one was at 16 and the last one was the one that caused the pseudep that killed him. And it's, 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 you know, like I said, you've probably had more than five in your life if you started mm-hmm. at two years old. Yeah. Oh, I've had a lot. Yeah. You have a different kind of epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And, and every seizure that Cameron ever had was at night while he was sleeping, 100%, every single one. And, and a lot of people have them, you know, during the day, at work, you know, it, it can be really debilitating, as you know. Mm-hmm. But th- th- these things for Cameron were never debilitating. It was, it was, he would seize, he would usually bite his tongue, and he would wake up with a headache. And that was it. And, and, and it was, it was like, ah, oh, that sucks, but okay, I guess we can live with this. You know, that that's, if you're gonna have one seizure a year and just bite your tongue and have a headache. Okay. So when he, he had that last one and he died, we were like, what the fuck? Yeah. No way. Like we're still like that. We're still like that. Like, but because we had no idea what SUDEP was. 
So, so that's why we're so invested in, in the pseudo aspect of it, even though there's 40 different types of epilepsy. Our focus is pseudo because most other epilepsies, although are horrible, they don't kill you. Mm-hmm. This kills you or could kill you. And, you know, you probably know that one in 26 people have or will develop epilepsy in their life. And so epilepsy is one of those things that's, we, we say this all the time, but it's, it's, it's the most common disease that we know the least about, mm-hmm. you know, like versus cancer or Parkinson's or, or something like that. So, you know, we, we want to bring it out of the shadows. We want to destigmatize it and we want to mostly raise money for research mm-hmm. because there, there are some important things happening there. There's this great research, but they're still not there yet yeah. as far as figuring out the trigger, figuring out what, you know, what SUDEP does either stops your breathing or stops your heart or both. Like that's the worst. That's the worst. You don't even know. You, it's not like you could call out, yeah. you know, it's the worst. So they don't know why it does that. They don't know why, what it, what is it that clicks off your breathing? What is it that clicks off your heart? Like what the hell? So that's what we have to figure out. And we're not there yet, but they are making strides. Yeah. And, and that sounds terrifying. Just the, the random nature of it's it. It's horrible. All. Yeah. It's horrible. And, and the thing about it is, you know, people ask us all the time, like, what would you do differently? Like, I don't know. Like if, if we knew that was a, a possibility that might've even been worse because we'd yeah. be fucking worried every day, every night. So like pick your poison. I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a good answer for that. Um, and, and I don't think we could have prevented it knowing what I know right now. Yeah. But hopefully in the future, we can't prevent it. You know, you can mitigate your seizures to a degree, but only if you have seizures kind of often so that they can experiment with different, like Cameron was on Keppra. I have no idea if the Keppra did anything for him at all. Mm -hmm. Keppra was the only thing in his system when they did the autopsy, you know, because people say, oh, did he overdose on coke? What what did he do? You know, so we had to go through this Hollywood mess, you know, to protect his name and his legacy that he didn't do something stupid. You know, this was a medical emergency that, that unfortunately killed him. But like I said, he only had five seizures ever. So it's hard to figure it out. The, the grieving process, like we're all going to go through grief in our life, but mostly it's be our parents, our grandparents. Very few of us will have to uh, put a child or go through a funeral with the, with the child. Is the grieving process different when it's with your child? <laughs> a billion percent. I'm not supposed to outlive my children. The grieving process, you know, I'll just let you know, there, there's no process. It's, it's fucked every day. And, you know, my wife's been doing um, uh, support groups and whatnot. And for me, that just makes me even sadder, you know, talking to other people that have gone through the same thing. And it's just, I, it's just overwhelming for me. So, you know, everybody's grieving process is different. And again, it sounds cliche, but people say, you know, maybe may his memory be a blessing. And when I really thought about that, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try and go with that. Like, just remember all the good stuff. Like we were talking about earlier, like I spent so much time with my son. Like I've never spent that much time with my father. It was just impossible back in the day. I have those memories. I have experiences that, that only would have happened because of my son. Now, he... He lived a short life, but he lived the most full short life of anybody I've known. Mm-hmm. He did more in his 20 years. I'm 58. He, he's done more than I've done in 58 years, 10 times, 100 times. 
So his memory is a blessing. And, and that's the way I try and deal with the grief. Mm-hmm. His mom does it a whole different way. But obviously, we're united and we're together in, in, in our grief. Mm-hmm. His sister, too. She deals with it a whole different way. Everybody's different. And so there's no one way to grieve. It, it's just the hardest part is just accepting the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you another weird thing. I dream about Cameron almost every night. Wow. Almost every night. I didn't last night. The night before I did. I mean, it's crazy how much I dream about him. His mother hasn't dreamed about him one time. Yet she cries all the time. She cries and cries and cries. And so, like I said, everybody's mental process is different. You know, I've lost grandparents and, and, and I lost my uncle, who was more like my big brother. That was really, really hard. And as hard as that was, it's not even in the same stratosphere as losing his son. Just don't want to lose a child. You mentioned, uh, you know, his sister. So Maya, how do you support your living child through their grief when you're still grieving yourself? Because that seems like an almost insurmountable task, but obviously you have been through it and you're still going through it. Well, the beautiful thing about Maya is she she is and always has been not stoic, but she's she's very, I'm trying to think of the right word. I mean, she's, she's strong. She's strong. She's a very strong individual. Um, she spoke eloquently at Cameron's memorial. In fact, I began to worry about her. She almost seemed too stoked. Like, like, aren't you sad? And then, and then of course she broke down and cried and, and we, you know, we had a good cry and, and we've gone through a couple of things, but basically she told me, you know, there's nothing she can do to bring her brother back. And, you know, she's young and she's got her friends and she's got her own life and, and she's going to try and go on. Now, this is something that you can say. It doesn't mean that you're not hurting on the inside, but that's the way she deals with her grief. And so I just support her thought process. And, 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 and I really respected that from her because I thought that was very deep mm-hmm. and very, um, again, wise beyond her years. And it's working for her and it's, it's working for us. And, you know, now we've got this COVID madness. She's supposed to be off to college, but because of COVID, she didn't get to go. Uh, so she's still here and she wants to move out. She wants to do all those things that, you know, a young woman wants to do. And so I'm excited for her to, to get her own thing going, mm-hmm. you know, because quite frankly, you know, when she was younger, you know, she lived in his shadow. Like everyone wants to talk Cameron, 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 Cameron. And what about Maya? Mm-hmm. And it would kind of make me upset. Sometimes people would ask me about Cameron, say, hey, what, what about Maya? Mm-hmm. You know, don't forget about Maya. So, so Maya obviously is, my only child now, and and she's my everything. And I tell her, I said, if I didn't have you, I don't know what the hell. Uh, mm-hmm. It would just be disaster. So, so because of that, I think you know, in spite of everything that's happening, you know, she's in a good place. Her whole generation is amazing to me because yeah. look at the mess they're going through with climate change, with racism, with COVID. Now it's yeah. like they just keep getting piled on. You know, I grew up in the 60s and it was like cruise control compared to this. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just think that she's just brilliant and amazing and, and she's coping as well as could be expected considering everything that's going on besides the fact yeah. that her brother passed. And, and it was really messed up because we had just lost our dog right before that happened. So it's like just so much crap. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I don't feel sorry for myself. Everybody 
goes through this, you know, we are not immune to tragedy. Mm-hmm. It was just that we got blindsided because we didn't know his epilepsy could be fatal. Yeah. So, you know, that's the only difference. Like everybody, especially now with COVID, people are losing people left and right. So I don't feel sorry for myself. I don't feel like, you know, we need more attention or we need more sympathy. That's bullshit. I think that everybody needs help. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs attention. Everybody, especially that has some kind of condition, you know, we want to take care of people. So, uh, you know, I never wanted to come across like, oh, woe is me, because hell no. No, no, I'm still, I still have my daughter, my wife, my life overall is still charmed. Mm-hmm. It's just that we, we had a really, really devastating tragedy in our family, like almost everybody's going to experience at some point. So instead of just saying, okay, that's it, you started the foundation to continue his legacy and to honor him and, and, and to help people because we don't want anybody to go through what we went through. Yeah. The, the, the foundation such a great project, but he had other acting projects that have yet to be released. What is your feeling surrounding those? Will you go and watch his past work and his future work that's yet we to have, be released? We have. Yeah, we already have. Um, he did an indie film that we went to Mammoth and it was a film festival. And we saw that. He did a HBO thing, which was, he was really proud of that. I didn't watch every episode, but I watched the first two uh, it was kind of hard. He, there's another thing in the can that hasn't been released. I'm not sure if it's going to be released. It, it's harder for his mom to, to watch him on screen now. You know, it's understandable. But because Cameron was so set on not ending off as just some kid on Jesse, mm-hmm. he wanted to do edgy projects. He wanted to do adult projects. He wanted to do things that show that he had, like I said, acting chops. And so because of that, I watch and, and it's like, man, he did. He did. He was really good. Like, you know, when he was little, I, I was the one, who, like I said, I'm not an actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not trying to say it was because of me because it definitely was not. But I used to run lines with him and, and we would go over things and, and make sure he was ready. Script after script after script. And I, I did help him in the sense that, you know, he needed somebody to bounce lines off of. But I quickly learned that you know, it wasn't about me, how I read it. It was about how he interpreted the script and how he interpreted the lines and what he was going to do. He basically taught me how to read for him so that he could do well in an audition or on the show. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So because I, I was slightly involved with getting him ready for stuff like that, it's now it's easy to see the progression of when he first started to going through the Disney uh, commercials which I remember he did a bunch of commercials before he ever had a line. His first line ever was, mmm, pancakes. <laughs> and it was line. for, yeah, it was his first speaking part. It was, was mmm, pancakes. It was for some shake-up pancake mix in a commercial. So, so from that very first line to like huge blocks of words in, in bigger projects and movies and whatnot, I, you know, I saw him grow and progress as an actor and go from like, you know, we're just doing this to get some college money to, hey, this is what I want to do as a career. So yeah, it's very gratifying to me to see him. And, and I'm glad that, you know, he was able to do some things that that made him proud, even though they were like, he was in big budget, like growing up some big budget movies, you know, big, big things. These indie films may or may not even ever go to the theater, mm-hmm. but those were the ones he was most proud of because he shown as an actor and they were very difficult roles mm-hmm. so so yes I, i'm i'm happy to watch those things and i'm proud of him and i'm proud of his work and i appreciate 
that people giving him a chance to show that he wasn't just pigeonholed as a Disney because a lot of people get stuck. Yeah. Whether it's Disney or whatever, they get pigeonholed and they never, even though they want to, they can never progress past what they were known for doing, mm -hmm. which is really unfortunate because, you know, then you don't like what you do. And like I told you, I would always ask Cameron, do you still want to do this? Do you still like this? And you say, yes, yes, yes. But I want to do this. Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, I want to grow. I want to progress. And, you know, after Jesse, he did that show called Gamer's Guide. I will watch what I say, but let's just say that wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. And then it got canceled. And then he had a really rough go, which was the best thing that ever happened to him because he was on cruise control from his seven years old to the end of Gamer's Guide. He just booked and booked and booked and mm -hmm. like, no problem. After Gamer's Guide, people were slamming the doors on him. It was hard for him to book. He didn't book something for maybe, it was over a year, which is super rare for him. Now he always did fall back on Disney stuff. He did a couple, he did Descendants, and, but those things he didn't have to audition for. He was just part of the franchise. So the, whatever. But trying to get out of that was very difficult. And it showed him that, hey, you know, maybe I'm not the golden child. Maybe, maybe I, I need to step my game up. Mm -hmm. And he did. And he worked really hard. He, he, I'd never seen him more serious from the time he was 18 to 20 years old. And he went from like my little, little son to this young man on a mission. And I'd never been more proud of him. He, he worked the least during that period, but he did the most as far as for himself, for his craft, for his pride. And don't forget, this is this is during the time where now his epilepsy has come into play. Because before he wasn't, he didn't have epilepsy. He went from, you know, a little kid to 16 years old, never had a seizure. What the hell? Now he's got epilepsy and it's hard out there. Mm -hmm. So he did a whole lot of soul searching, a whole lot of uh, self-reflection to get to a point where he was really, really Yes, now I'm now I'm on cruise control, and then he freaking died. Mm -hmm. it, it was like, oh, it, it's. I mean, you couldn't even write this. It was just a horrible thing. No, it's so it's so so tragic. And I think about this not having experienced the tragedy. Just like, do I need therapy in my life? Would it be helpful just with my minimal problems? For you, have you gone to therapy? And if not, do you think it would be helpful? I did go. I did go immediately after he passed. I went with my wife and to me, it was just more strange, you know, pouring my heart out to someone I'd never seen and never met. For, for me, it, it didn't help. Mm -hmm. My wife thought differently. She, the, the first person we saw, she felt like she didn't have a connection with her. But so since then, she's found a couple of different groups. There's like two different uh, support groups. And, and one is it's just parents that have lost children and not necessarily the epilepsy to whatever. One kid got hit by a car by a drunk driver, like just horrible things, you know, just things you just can't prepare yourself for. So like I said, for her, that helps her. And she says to me, it doesn't make her feel good, but it makes her have a connection with other people that have a shared experience, which I understand. But for me, it just, it doesn't really work like that. I just deal with it on my own. And does that work for you? Yes. I'm not anti-therapy. I just feel, I guess I'm just more introverted. I don't know. 
much as I talk, you wouldn't think that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it probably takes you a bit to get going. Yeah, I was wondering, so for people listening who I, I hope no one's going through this, but I'm sure a lot of people no, are. I hope, no one's, I hope no one ever goes through this. Mm-hmm. But do you have any advice for coping mechanisms that have worked for you and that may work for like-minded people who are like you? Here's the thing that's strange for me that's different from other people that may have lost children. Because my son was famous, I get probably more outpouring than than most people. And like I said, that's a blessing and a curse. Because what happens with me is I get people constantly coming, people that I don't know are coming, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And that kind of just takes me back into the sadness. I don't want to keep going back into the sadness. And people are, they're, they're well-intentioned and I understand, but it just gets to be too much. And that's why for me, I don't want to go to a and keep talking about it over and over and over again. And that goes back to what I was saying about his memory is a blessing. I want to just remember the good parts, the good times. I don't want to constantly relive the tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the only one that saw him deceased. My wife never saw him. My daughter, they, they didn't want to see him. And so that's burned into my brain and, and, it, and it's a horrible image and I have to deal with that every day. So I don't want to deal with even more sadness just being poured upon me, even though it's good intentions. But I would say that because other people probably don't have that issue, when people do, you know, uh, give you love and, and give you support, take it, embrace it because it's not going to last. Because, you know, eventually people, they filter when they go back to their regular lives and whatnot. You know, this always happens when somebody passes away. You get a whole bunch of family and friends. come, They give you love and everything. And it really helps. And then they go away. And now you're like left in that void. You're left with your thoughts. You're left with your sadness. You're left with your emptiness. And it's, it's, it sucks. It totally sucks. So I would say embrace and accept any love that you can get. And, and be thankful for it because it, it's fleeting. It's fleeting and, and this hole in your heart, it, it fucking, it never goes away. It never goes away. So rather than dwell on that, because it's going to be there, you still have to say, okay, I still have, like I said, I still have my daughter. I still have my health. I still have my hobbies. I play my music. You have to continue to live your life, your life, mm-hmm. because your life is not over. My son's life is over. He had a beautiful life. It was too short. He had a beautiful life. So I have no regrets in his life. I, I, I deeply regret that it's over. But I don't look back at his life and say, I wish he would have done this. I wish he could have. No regrets. No regrets. So you have no regrets and continue your life because your life is not over. Yeah, about your life. So just as Cameron was kind of, uh, he reached the age of 18, I'm assuming he didn't need you to be his liaison anymore. Were you able right. to go back to your previous job or did you start a new career? Like, what does no, the future look no, like? No, no. You know, older, I, I had no intention of going back to the <laughs> previous job. Smart man. Even though Cameron didn't need me to hang around him all the time, I still handled all the back end stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. I still do. Like Cameron, even though Cameron's not here, Cameron's, business still operates Mm -hmm. and you know it's just in a different function in a different form now so no no I never went back thank god thank god it's 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 been it it was very liberating you know it was terrifying at first when I stepped out because like I said I'm older and as an older person if you step out of the workforce you're probably not coming back Mm 
Mm-hmm. If you've been gone for two, three years, you're not coming back because they hire younger people at, at a lower rate. You know, old, older people get kicked out. I'll be 60 in a couple of years. Oh, you look I'm great. going back to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not something that was a, an easy decision, but once I committed, I committed. And, and also my wife still works. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, the reason why, let me rewind. The reason why we were able to do this in the first place is because my wife is very stable, very steady in her work. You know, she, she works in the CEO, CEO office of the county. She's been there forever. And so that was one of the things that allowed us to have the flexibility to have Cameron go on auditions. Mm-hmm. And whatnot. So if it weren't for that, we wouldn't be on the Zoom call because none of this would have happened. Yeah. And, and that's what I try to tell people. They're asking, well, how do I get my kid into this? And I, I said, you have to have time. You have to have time and commitment and you have to, you have to um, be able to accept rejection. You're going to get rejected over and over and over and over again, a hundred times before you book anything, if you ever book anything. So you have to have thick skin and you have to have time and you have to have a, a little bit of luck. So we had all of those things and, and it worked out, but it, it really, did you guys see young actors like on the name of the documentary, the last one of the last things Cameron did. It's amazing about how Cameron's in it, Todd Bridges is in it, you know, all these young Hollywood actors are in it, and they tell their stories back to the Mickey Rooney days of, of, of being a child actor in Hollywood. And it's excellent and it really lays out the reality of kids in Hollywood. What's that called? Uh, I should know the name. It's uh I can tell you in a second. It's 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 like kids in Hollywood, Hollywood kids. Okay. Rings a bell. Hollywood kids. That was one of the things that I wasn't involved with at all. So when I watched Cameron and he talks about us, he talks about his family and I'm like, he was so raw and so real with it. Mm. It was just like amazing to me, even though I knew everything he was talking about to hear him say it was like, wow, 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 wow. That's an excellent one. You should watch that. Hollywood kids, Hollywood kids. I hope that's the right title. It's something yeah. like that. Okay. You'll well, find it. Yeah. Google his name and his <laughs> yeah, IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it, 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 it was amazing. And it was one of the last, he filmed that when he was, he was shooting um, that show, Mrs. Fletcher. He was living in Brooklyn. He shot it there. So I had nothing to do with that. I wasn't in Brooklyn. He was mm-hmm. there by himself. When I saw it, it was refreshing and amazing and great. And I learned a lot about some of these other people that I thought I knew stuff about. It was eye opening eye-opening. So I I highly recommend that. Okay, Victor, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that. We're supported by My Breast Friend. And no, Veronica, I'm not talking about you. I am talking about My Breast Friend, the number one choice. Wait, 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 wait. That's a joke that I said last time when I said, oh. You didn't say that. Yes, I did. I said, I thought I was your breast friend. Mm, You stole that. You always steal my stuff, but continue. (laughs) The number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. And breast is spelled B-R-E-S-T for the people who care about spelling. Yeah, crucial here. And for more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought were possible. Shane, you've used my breast friend's nursing pillow before what did you think of it oh it was the most comfy nursing pillow i've ever used 
right? In those three Top times, 10 at least. <laughs> in those three times that I think you gave bottles, it was made your experience heavenly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never heard you talk like this. Major, it was major experience, heavenly. Yeah, it was exactly how I would say it. It's just simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding, and I can attest that from experience. My breast fund pillow was given to me when I had Lucy, and it really did change the game for me. You can purchase my breast friend online at buybuybaby.com. And that's B U Y, not B Y E. Yep. Or the other B I. Target.com, Walmart.com, BabyList.com, and Amazon.com. Happy nursing. But we are also supported by Mumgree. Mumgree is a plant-based snack food company that uses only the good stuff. They offer delicious natural nut butters made in three amazing, amazing variants. Take our word for it. The variants are smooth peanut butter, chocolate peanut butter, and the first ever pistachio chocolate almond butter and despite the name dads can eat them also (laughs) all three flavors are dad friendly it's true but i guess it's it's meant for moms because it's perfectly like scientifically made for the nutrition it it is mumgree is low in sugar high in protein iron and calcium and basically covers moms for every stage of motherhood whether you are trying to get pregnant whether you are pregnant or if you are postpartum like me and everyone knows i recently did a hundred push-ups in a row (laughs) but what you may not know is had a spoonful of mumgree before i did it there you go mumgree for the muscles mumgree is handcrafted ethically sourced and roasted to perfection we love to spoon into dates and top with a little bit of himalayan salt but also lately i've been putting it and i mean call me a weirdo but i have been spreading mumgree on a little piece of toasted bread with ricotta cheese i've been doing the chocolate peanut butter mumgree with a little bit of ricotta cheese on top it is amazing Highly recommend it. I'll allow it. Yeah. Anyhow, check it out at mumgree.com and redeem the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off all of your nut butters. This offer is available in Canada and the US. Again, that is mumgree.com and promo code thisfamilytree10. But let's get back to our interview with Victor. I wanted to ask about adversity and it being in uh, your DNA, if that's a thing you believe in. Because I was reading that your mother was part of the Clinton 12. Am I getting that right? Which Mm -hmm. means she was one of the first uh, black people integrated into an all-white high school. Correct. Clinton, Tennessee in the 50s. Right. And then you go through everything you've gone through in your life, even taking the chance to quit your job and willing to go through the adversity and take that risk to have Cameron be a part of acting and then have Cameron go through all that adversity and all the rejection involved in acting. Do you believe that that's part of your DNA? Yes, but I would never compare what I did to what my mother had to go through. Mm -hmm. It's not even in the same stratosphere. They had like the National Guard coming to their school to save them from the Klan angry mobs. And there's no comparison. But the perseverance is learned and and, and it's it's a trait. So yeah, in, in that sense, yes. The other thing was with, with Cameron, like I said, I never wanted to, I wanted to stop. You know, after the first couple of auditions, I didn't want to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. He was the one that wanted to keep doing it. And so I was just amazed that he could take so much rejection as a, as a little kid and still want to do it. Like for what? Because he hadn't even booked anything. Like what, what are we doing this for? I said that over and over, <clears throat> but we kept going. And I think his first commercial he booked was, um, it was for Target. 
it was a Christmas commercial and it was beautiful. And, and when we saw it on TV, like we were watching organically, like we were, it wasn't even wow. recorded and it, and it came on and we were like, oh, I mean, it was just amazing. And then that's when I got excited about it when I first saw it on TV. But as far as the trait of adversity, I think it's something that's taught. Like my mother's father went through some mess, you know, in, in the South. Yeah. You know, just that that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. So my mom learned from her father. And then I learned from my mom and my grandfather. Who, you know, I, he lived to 94. So I knew wow. him. Even Cameron and Maya both knew my grandfather, their great grandfather. So yeah, I think it's something that can be t- learned. You know, if you lead by example, um, I, I don't think everybody's naturally gonna be dealing with adversity because it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. So there has to be something in your DNA that that would help you with that. So I I do believe that, yes. Mm -hmm. So clearly, you know, like activism from what your family has gone through is so important. And that's reflected in the Cameron Boyce Foundation. I know there's the Wielding Peace Project. And I was just I was so curious because your mother's book, so that's the promise of change by Joanne Boyce. Yes. And it's, you know, such a gut-wrenching story and it's a heroic story and what a time like so much turbulence so hate-filled and I I was so curious as you know kind of an activist family what your take is on things right now I know earlier in the interview you mentioned that you're so proud of the generation today and what they're going through and what they're doing so what's your take on what's happening I know like two days ago only another black man Jonathan Price was shot down by White cops in oh, the U.S. God. Well, here, here's the thing. It's too much. And the thing is that, you know, when my mom was going through it, you know, a lot of things were still like, like black people, it was illegal to vote mm. and it was illegal to be in certain places and you were literally outlawed in certain things. So that time, in a sense, was way worse. But now, you know, we're living in, the, we have, we have watches, we can talk to people and see people. We have so much technology, but humans have not really evolved as much as the technology. And we, we still have hateful people and racist people and, and demagogues and, and all this craziness. Like, why? Like, why are we not more evolved? So to me, it's even worse now because we should know better as a species. We should know better as inhabitants. We're all in the same freaking ball that's floating in space and we can't go anywhere and we're just not taking care of that. We're not taking care of each other. And it's like, I don't understand it. So to me right now, it's, it's, it's even worse mm-hmm. than it was when my mom was growing up because it seems like with all the shared experience we've had, races, religions, wars, all this stuff, come on people, mm-hmm. come on. Why, 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 why is it necessary to be racist, to be hateful, to be divisive? Like, why? What is the end game? Mm-hmm. What is the point of that? I just, I don't understand it. And um, I'm just glad that my kids are, are, are conscious enough to, to take a stand against it and, and, and to try and do something about it like their grandmother did. You know, my wife is Jewish, so my kids, <laughs> I say they're bluish. So, so not only do they have the black experience, you have the Jewish experience with the Holocaust and it's just like, just like so much to put on them and they deal with it. And, and, and not only do they deal with it, but they accept it, they embrace it and they try and go out and do stuff about mm. it. I've been to marches and stuff. I would never go on marches and stuff 
I shouldn't say I would never go, but I was, I, I went more so because of my kids yeah. than because of me. You know, they're, they're just super, super involved. And, and Cameron always was up to when, when he passed. And my daughter is still, mm-hmm. you know, at her age, you know, I knew who the president was. I wasn't involved in politics and, and, and knowing all the stuff. They know everything. So there's so much more involved with the mm-hmm. process, which is very important because I think for me, when Barack got elected in 2008, I literally naively ignorantly thought that we had turned a corner on race in America. Like, wow, we've got a black president. Like, finally, you know, everything is all good. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's just completely the opposite. Yeah. It's the opposite. So I, I was kind of in a bubble in 2008, 9, 10. And then, you know, in 16, just the whole lid came off. And, and now it's like, wow, I can't believe it, but I should believe it. You know, looking back, I, I should have known this was not a, a good situation. Watching from Canada, uh, where we live, you know, it, it's been the same thing because we are so impacted by what happens in the States. And we were in that bubble too. And it, it's, you know, scary on one hand, and, and I agree with you in that maybe it's worse, but then I feel so hopeful because of kids like Maya and because yes. of the younger generation. And I want to, yes. I want to end on, on that hopeful note. And I think it's a great yes, spot. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where can, for those listening, uh, where can people go to see Cameron's legacy to find out about the Cameron Boyce project and all of the kind of other projects that are in within that? Okay. There's a couple of things. So, so the main thing will be the foundation website. Mm-hmm which is the Cameron Boyce foundation.org, not.com, .org. And also on Instagram, there's the building piece, which was Cameron's baby, which he conceptualized and brought to life and, and got some things started before he passed. But we have that continuing on. So that's building piece on Instagram. There's also the Cameron Boyce foundations on Instagram. So those are the main things. Obviously, if you Google Cameron, you can find all kinds of stuff about him. Really would like people to go to the foundation website because then you can see what we've done, what we're planning on doing, our core values, what we support, clean water, ending gun violence, and epilepsy. That Those are our core things. You know, we're working with inner city arts to bring art and photography and, and skills to disadvantaged youth here in downtown LA. We've got a lot of stuff happening that Cameron would be either proud of or, or like, yes, 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 we must do this. You know, he, would, he wouldn't have been all about the epilepsy because he didn't let epilepsy define him. Mm-hmm. That was something in the background that he was dealing with personally. But since it took his life, he brought it out of the shadows. And that's why we're focused on that. That's not something that he was championing for. Mm-hmm. He, he was all about arts, dance, music, these types of things. So th- that's why we're going to always have that in, in our core. So, yeah, I, I'm also hopeful for the future because of kids like Maya. I should say young adults like Maya and her friends, like all of her friends to me are brilliant. Mm-hmm. They're all positive. You know, they could just be like, fuck it. You know, why? But they're not. And, and that gives me tremendous hope. And, and I'm very proud of her. And like I said, if I didn't have her, I wouldn't know what I would do. What, which part of Canada are you guys in? Just, just outside of Toronto. Yeah. Okay. I've never been on the yeah. east side because we spent a lot of time in Vancouver. Which, oh, that's which, nice um, too there. Yeah, we spent a lot of time in Vancouver because all the Descendants movies were shot there. And I've gone there just on vacation to Whistler, to, to Mountain oh, Bike. beautiful. So I, I really like Canada. It's funny how, you know, growing up, 
Canada's right there. We didn't know anything about, we never heard anything about Canada. I don't know why it was like, nobody talks about Canada, but it's different now. But when I was growing up, like Canada was a mystery. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's, maybe it's a good thing. We like keeping to ourselves and uh, staying quiet. We got a good thing going on up here. <laughs> I can always tell when someone's from Canada because you say out. Yeah. About. <laughs> yeah. We don't notice it. <laughs> Everything but else sounds people the same. say that. And a, say say out it. and yeah. about. Um, but you're le- speaking of out, you're leaving yourself out of the promotional cycle you have and speaking of positivity and hope what is your instagram handle because i feel like your instagram is a place where people can find nice memories find some positivity and feel that hope my instagram is the victor voice and it's that because when cameron opened his he called it the cameron voice (laughs) so he said just name it this it's amazing i think if 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 it weren't for cameron i'd probably have about three followers (laughs) my mom and (laughs) <laughs> my dad, maybe he's not even on Instagram, but, um, you know, I have like three quarters of a million followers and, mm-hmm. and I feel almost obligated to post because they've been so supportive. Yeah. So I do. And, and I, I try to keep it positive. It's not always possible because of what happened, of course. but it's, it's, it's still, um, something that I, I try to keep up. Um, mm-hmm. I have another one that it's, more personal to me. I, I, I ride a lot. I'm into cycling. So I've got one called bike obsession. So a lot of Cameron's fans follow me on that too, even though I know they don't care about bikes. <laughs> they'll follow me. So, but, but the main one's the Victor Boyce and, and, and I appreciate the fans. And I, when I was saying I get a lot of love and a lot of support, that's mainly where I get it is on that site. And mm. it's just, no matter what I post, and it's, oh, that made me cry. Oh, I remember this or, or, or people with epilepsy have reached out to me and you know, thank you for, for, for bringing awareness. Thank you for, for, for sharing Cameron's story. It's been a, a huge blessing to us and a help. And that's how we got connected with the Epilepsy Foundation. What came out that he had epilepsy, their donations went up, skyrocketed. That's incredible. Skyrocketed. So even though it's tragic for us, it's actually helped mm-hmm. other people. And, and that's when we realized, hey, you know, we can actually make a difference. We can do something to help and so that his death just isn't in vain. Like, you know, it, it can't be that just he blew up and then he died. It, it can't be that. Yeah. So because of, of what happened with the Epilepsy Foundation and because we, we said we have to do something to keep his dreams and his goals alive. That's kind of how the foundation came about. It was mostly to, to honor his legacy because he had just started that wielding peace thing. And we didn't want that just to fall through the cracks. And that's become very, very not successful, but it, it's been impactful. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to keep that going. And we, we encourage everybody to post and tag Wielding Peace that we will put you on that site. That's fantastic. Anybody and everybody. I hope the listeners do check out the Cameron Voice Foundation, do check out Wielding Peace. And if they can't make a donation because it is so important. Yes. And Victor, we appreciate so much you sitting down with us today. We've really enjoyed this conversation. So yes. again, thank you thank so you much. And thank you for having me. All the thank best you for coming to on. Libby and Maya and your mom, Joanne. I hope her uh, book sales go well. Oh, her book sales are great. She's gotten <laughs> awards for that book and it, it's been really good. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, I learned a lot in that book. You know, I was skeptical of it at first because of it's written in that poem style. Right. I had no idea how that was going to work. Like I, she told me, I'm like, that's, that's not going to work. Well, no. <laughs> but when I read it, it's like, not only is it great, but it makes it easy to read. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it, like, you know, me as an old man can read it and, and uh, 
a second grader could read it and still appreciate it and it, and it goes quickly and you absorb it and yeah. it's memorable. And I just think it's fantastic. So I, kudos, mom. No kidding. Eh? But yeah. Victor, yeah. again, please take care and all the best to your family. Okay. You too. Thank right. you so yeah. much. Thank you so much, Victor. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. If you are a parent, I can only imagine how you felt listening to that interview because Shane and I obviously felt so emotional uh, speaking with Victor and then again kind of reflecting on the interview afterward. It just such such a difficult thing to It's unimaginable. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. You you could never think, Oh, I say goodnight to my son or daughter and then they don't wake up. The scare so I used to have seizures as I talk about in the interview. And it makes me kind of nervous because of my health history for the girls. And seizures never scared me because I didn't know that this could happen, obviously, which is, you know, the main focus of the foundation. But it it really does make me consider the time and the, the quality of our time, I guess, that we're spending as a family and everything. And I really, it really just makes and reinforces the need to make everyday high quality in a sense you know what i mean yeah of course like i'm i'm every time we go in a vehicle i say like a little prayer like because i'm worried we're gonna die i you see me when when you're driving i'm terrified i yeah and you don't hold back and i'm scared when you drive but i try to play it chill because i know what do i do so bad when we drive no you're stoppy and starty you're like like i go like that i jerk i'm jerking my head and showing shane Alex, you have, you have the hardest braking. In- I have a lead foot. I know. That's but- not okay. So lead foot. Hard on the gas and hard on the brake. No, lead foot is just referring to gas. I don't think the brake. I'm gonna Google it. <laughs> so it says here, a person who drives a motor vehicle too fast, especially habitually. Mm. That's the only definition. So I wouldn't use lead foot for braking. You had heavy foot. Yeah, you break too hard. I would say you have a heavy foot. But, but I, Shane. You think I'm the same as you? I think you're a much more cautious driver in the city. But I think that if we're driving on a highway, you can be kind of heavy footed as well. With the brakes? If we're in traffic. Because here's the thing. All right, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to concede on this one. I'm, it's, it's a, it's a loss. I'm sorry. I am probably the, uh, I got a heavy foot. I got to get better. And I have gotten better since the beginning of our relationship. Yeah. But like when I, I remember when I was driving with you with your family and your mom was in the passenger seat and she was totally acting like me. She was like, John. And he like, cause he's, he, your dad breaks hard too. He's a much better driver than you. But I mean, he breaks hard. But I was just like, wow, this is such a parallel universe where I'm Lorna. <laughs> you and Lorna have a lot of similar qualities. We do. All right. So, anyhow, Shane. Sorry, I got lost. Where are we? Okay. What are we doing we were here? Talking about, uh, you were saying how uh, you say a little prayer every time we get in the car. Odds are, if we're going to die of something freakish, it's going to be that. That's yeah. why I'm so terrified. And maybe that's why I'm pickier on you. And with previous relationships driving, maybe I was just like, I don't love them as much. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, shall we get to the mailbag segment? Let's do it. This is where listeners send us questions and you actually research them now and come up with a real answer. That I do. 
All right, let's start it off. So the first question was, what do you think of the American election? We covered that in the intro. So again, we're both just nervous. Number two, what items do you splurge on? So Shane and I have the mentality that we are happy to splurge on things if we love them. And we will do something, we will eat something, we will drink something if we love it. And that's kind of when we stop worrying about money. But we don't like, we're both kind of cheap in the sense that we don't like spending money on unnecessary things. Neither one of us really shops a lot. Uh, But Shane has recently, in the past few years, become in love with Kit and Ace, the brand. Because they make the softest shirts ever. And they're expensive as all heck. But that is something that we splurge on because you're doing it infrequently and it's like you love it. So I think that our biggest splurges together as a couple, we splurge on really good takeout. Like if it's from a restaurant that we love, we are so happy to fork over the money and like, you know, get the smallest thing or whatever. Uh, Even just good popcorn from the movie theater. We will splurge on the delivery fees. Mm -hmm. Expensive champagne on a Tuesday night. Oh, I don't give a shit about champagne. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, no, I won't spend money on it. I would never buy it. Like, do you even know okay, what we splurge okay. on? Yeah, yeah. Take take that out. Take that part out. Um, we will splurge on a night out. If you and I, pre-COVID, were having like a date night, we will, I don't know, just not worry about things, right? You're giving me these looks like I'm getting it all wrong. What do you think we splurge on? No, I agree with you. There's just like... Shane's looking at me like I have three heads. Well, you, you just said we splurge on champagne, which was a lie. And then no, you asked, no, it's asked not. me to cut Shane, it out. We, well, when do we splurge on champagne? No, oh, wait, darling. In this sense. So like we had a bottle and this is like the third bottle of Vuvuzela that we've had sitting in whatever. Who bought Vuvuzela? I don't, I don't even, even know, know what Vuvuzela is. I don't even know if I'm saying it properly. But it's, it's a champagne. It's the one that comes in the orange. Well, I bought one. You bought else. Vuv? <laughs> you bought it though. I bought one. Yeah. I don't remember that. I, geez, this these I didn't know you're splurging. Like that's your thing. You splurged. There you go. On. I splurged. I didn't know we splurged. Something on I champagne. loved. And then we drank it on a Tuesday night just to make that random Tuesday night more special. Yeah. One thing I don't do is I don't hoard things for special occasions. Mm-hmm. I have a pet peeve. I also hate the word pet peeve. I have a pet peeve with the word pet peeve. But I do not like when someone's like, let's save this for our third anniversary. And Mm. it's like they haven't even had their first anniversary. I'm like, (laughs) no, let's just have it now. Mm -hmm. I hate waiting for things. But things I splurge on are just food and drink. Yeah. Uh, Underwear, I really like to be comfortable. I think it's important for you to feel comfortable, especially down there. So I buy the best underwear in the world. Each pair is like 30 bucks. Sounds ridiculous, but I'm just, they last me like years. Like my, uh, I bought these, the, all these underwears. I probably buy 18 pair. Well, I, I would, I buy them for you like every birthday, Christmas, Father's Day. Yeah. And, but that I've still had this, the first pair you bought me was when we thought we were going to get laid off at Mm -hmm. my work. When I thought I was going to get laid off at my work, you had a care package for me and that was like five years ago Yeah, and I still have that same pair and that was, it's called my package. They actually change it to beneath now. Spelled with threes instead of E's, which is a terrible rebrand if you ask me because my package was great beneath with the numbers in there. 
it's and somehow it's my package is higher quality than the beneath ones some of the beneath ones have fallen apart whereas the my package ones are all still intact yeah i hate that i hate that rebrand but yeah uh, uber eats is the thing we would spend our money on more than anything in the world that's what we splurge mm-hmm. on yep absolutely all right, the next question. I've been exclusively breastfeeding, but now at nine months, I am weaning my baby. How often should I nurse now that the baby is eating three meals a day? So you may have heard the term or the phrase, I guess, food before one is just for fun, but it's not just for fun. Babies do need to eat, and I know you're feeding your baby three times a day. Babies do need to eat at this age to get more nutrients than they can get from breast milk. And if you are not giving your kid meals, you know, by the nine month mark, they're going to be extremely malnourished. So kids need to start eating fruits, veggies, meats, whatever for their zinc, their iron, their protein, which they're not going to get enough of in breast milk. So if you are thinking about weaning though, it's still important to remember that although kids need nutrients from other foods, breast milk or formula still make up an extremely important part of your kid's diet at that age. So if you're weaning, you're just kind of cutting down the amount of feedings, but it's still going to be really primary to their diet. So at about that age with Lucy, I was feeding about four to five times in the day and maybe two times in the night. World Health Organization obviously recommends breastfeeding for the first two years, but between eight months and one year of age, Babies need about 750 to 900 calories in a day, and half of that should come from milk. Half of that, roughly, so if we're doing 450 calories, that's coming from milk, that's going to be about 24 ounces of milk. I never measured um, because I, I never bottle fed, so I just, you know, kind of trusted my body. So I think I was feeding five or six times a day, more than four or five, because I would also nurse for comfort up until like past a year. So, you know, just ensure that your child is still getting those 450 approximate calories from either formula or breast milk. And then I think you'd be okay. But, you know, for the full year, breast milk or formula does need to be a primary source of their nutrition. What activities do the two of you enjoy doing together? COVID has us in a rut. Honestly, for us, I think it's as, you know, regular as it sounds, just ordering something that we love. We'll order ice creams, like just a tub of ice cream we'll Uber Eats over. We work very hard, you know, with the babies <laughs> and jobs, jobs, the podcast. And we'll watch a movie usually. At the beginning of COVID, we, we got into a Toe Jam and Earl phase. And that's a video game for PlayStation that was very fun for us. Mm-hmm. But now it feels like just we're so exhausted that we just want to slump over on the couch and just do nothing and not have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So the chilling out is the thing we like to do. Yeah. And I mean, since things are so restricted right now and there's only so many things you can do, I find that when we've like taken on a new show together or something in the past, that's always made something like sitting on the couch even more fun like you and I have started a series from the beginning we watched uh the the Larry Sanders show together what 
What? <laughs> I'm not suggesting. No, we, okay, I'm we not, did I'm that. Not... We did that before Lou was yeah, born. No, I I know that, but I'm not. Here, and here's the thing: I'm not suggesting the Larry Sanders show. Well, I'm not I'm recommending laughing that. too because you are the worst person to watch a TV series. Yeah, with. but if, if we get into one from the beginning that I can actually get into, I think that's like such a fun thing to do. It's like exploratory and adventurous in a very lazy sense. Oh, it's so hard to get you to get excited or into a show. The wor- you have the worst interest level in I'm, in shows nba games it's like it's so like i don't know what you like i know you like three amigos <laughs> <laughs> if if three amigos is on you're locked in anything from your childhood that's like your family movie it's like that's no problem if you haven't seen three amigos do that there's a date night idea for this uh question asker watch three amigos get a bottle of tequila and have yourself a night what was a good ser- what series do you like? What do you like on TV? I like The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You do like, I like The Simpsons. I like The Simpsons. I like Seinfeld. I like Saturday Night Live. But you haven't evolved past the age of like 12. Eh? You like everything <laughs> that that nothing past the year 2000 are you into? I like Outlander. That's new. That's just cuz like that's your horny housewife no, thing. No, 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 no. It's a it's like a nice love story and i love their love for each other it makes yeah me right like- alex i confronted you the other day and asked you if you had a sexual interest in outlander and you said yes is it highlander or outlander outlander you still told me yes so i know there's more going on no, than no, you but just here's the thing here's the thing at maybe in the first season but then oh, after now you're over him and you're just no, there no, for no, the no, plot no, no no it's it's evolved into something deeper now it's not just like i find him sexually attractive it's like you know, it's like a marriage where that kind of goes aside and then you become like... I think you want it emotionally. to evolve into something deeper. <laughs> you you have become fixated with getting him on the podcast. He's not a dad. He he's there's, There'd be no nothing to talk about with him. He just started a whiskey company. He's on the promo cycle. Oh, no, that'd be an hour interview then. Sorry, what's the question? What, what do we do for fun? We, we're getting a little bickers. <laughs> we like bickering for we, fun. We bicker for fun. We will talk about how much we love the kids. That's something for fun. But uh, if COVID has you in a rut, and here's the thing, like the babies, obviously I cannot leave Betty. I'm still, you know, she's relying on me for breast milk and we do not bottle feed her at the moment. But when she does get a little older, uh, probably around my birthday when she's like, what will she be like 10 months or something like that? That's when I'm hoping Shane and I can get away for a weekend. And that might be, you know, going up to our family cottage without the kids, renting somewhere like a little cottage or something by a lake. And just honestly getting away for a weekend and relaxing, getting drunk, whatever. Yeah, but and then just during, fun. during COVID, well, let's simplify this. So COVID, you're trapped presumably in your house and the kids are... You get maybe three hours a day if you're lucky without the kids where it's you and your husband. It's like, what do you do in covid times? I would say Uber Eats over a box of, is it coming a box popcorn? A bag. A bag, yeah. Uber Eats over a bag of popcorn with butter. Get the Diet Coke thing. Get the M&Ms and buy a movie to rent on TV. Like actually do that. And it will feel like a honest to goodness, different atmosphere. It'll feel special. It'll feel more like a date night than just throwing on whatever is on Netflix. Have one fancier cocktail or mocktail and you'll feel like you're dating. Mm -hmm. It'll be so much different than just the 
any other night of the week. And I would suggest do it one night of the week. Like we're doing Wednesday and I found our last, when we did it, it was just a full success. And even though this was like one of the most stressful weeks, it made it a highlight of the week. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good suggestion. All right, moving on. Who's the better cook in your household? So, I mean, we don't cook that much. We get mostly things that are already prepared because we are so short on time. But I'd say Shane is the frozen waffle master and I am the occasional pulled chicken master. And that's about that's that's about where our skills have us. No, you're you much know. better cook. You actually have ability to learn and when, apply yeah. things. When so, I try to make something, I do a good job at it. And I'm good at snacks. Like if it's a really easy snack, I can add in the perfect amount of butter or seasoning. Oh, Shane, does you do do the perfect con um, combination of peanut butter, Nutella, and sometimes even butter on a banana. Yeah, and then I'll put maple syrup on it sometimes too. It's delicious. Like I'm good at mixing and <laughs> making weird concoctions and snacks, but I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a cook. I'm also good at putting the perfect amount of dill powder and mm-hmm. butter on popcorn if we're making the homemade popcorn. Um, but yeah, you're definitely the better cook. I'm better at making like Pillsbury cookies than you. Yeah. But we're just, we're not in a season of our life where cooking these beautiful home cooked meals is a priority. So is that season going to come? You think? Oh my god, yeah, it's got to, it's got to, and I can't wait for it to come when the girls are older and when we're all eating dinner at the same time because the girls eat way earlier than we do typically. Uh, so when we are all eating at the same time, we are sitting at that gosh darn dining room table and we are eating a delicious and healthy home cooked meal on the nights that we can. I'm excited for that. <laughs> meal. <laughs> okay. With two kids, do you get any me time? Me time meaning just alone time or me time meaning we time? I don't know. I think just time yourself. When you get you get your walk or run every day, right? Yeah, I do that when the kids are napping. Mm-hmm. So I I need to run every day. I'm finding, and that for me, and it's weird. I used to think I was running for myself, but then I realized that I was doing it more for everyone else. How so? So I could mentally not break down because I found <laughs> on. <laughs> On days where I wasn't going for the run, because sometimes I'd be like, man, an hour, that's such a waste of time because my runs take an hour. And I would just try to get more work done Mm -hmm. so then I could have more free time. But then I found I was so bitchy and annoying. And you'd be like, Shane, what's wrong with you? You've been like this all day. And I was like, fuck. And then I would do it again. Mm -hmm. And you'd be like, you'd you'd give me the comment that I've been like that all day. And I didn't even notice it. So I was like, I'm going to make sure I run every day. And then I found it's like even if I am being a problematic person, it's you don't give me the like it's been like this all day or right. like we still have moments of reprieve where it never gets to the point where you're really upset with me. No, and I, I think though that's ultimately for you because don't you want to be surrounded by people who aren't getting mad at you, right? So I think if I wasn't married and I didn't have kids, I wouldn't go for that run every day. Mm. Because I would just try to get more done with that hour. Because well, it does feel like a waste in a way. But then th- I get so much benefit of it in uh, happiness. What's What are those serotonin? What are those things? That endorphins. Make I get endorphins. Yep. Uh, and I'd say for me, it, it's kind of similar. Like, you know, I will either, I, I'll try to have quiet time 
for one hour again when the girls are napping. And again, on the days that I have time, which is quite time, meaning you're going in the other room and throwing on Outlander. (laughs) I wish. Uh, But no, it's taking a bath or laying down and closing my eyes. Whether or not I nap, just laying down and closing my eyes can be so rejuvenating. And again, it's so that I can be the best version of myself for you and the girls and have more patience and have more energy. The nicer I am. So you stole my answer in classic Alex fashion. No, I'm saying that that's such a good way to put it. And I like it. You fought it. Then I. I didn't fight it. You were like, how is that for you? Yeah, no, but it it makes so much sense. And I I know. So I'm just saying you fought it, but you believed me. Yeah, yeah, no. And I, I. I think unintentionally that's uh, that's how I've kind of been doing it but and again it is for me because honestly it is it is so nice to have those couple moments of quiet in the day so yeah you get very little me time but I'd say take it when the kids are napping and if you have to put something aside do it just to keep your own sanity because you'll ultimately keep the sanity of everybody else in your household yeah it catches up with you when you avoid it you you, you never gain that extra hour when you, with the way you think you are going to. Oh my to. God, yeah. All right, so our final question for the night. How do you manage to fit in exercise with kids? So kind of branching off from that one. You know, the easy answers there are, okay, are you going to prioritize exercise? If you make the choice to prioritize exercise, then you really have to schedule in in your day. Like, are you going to wake up extra early and get in the morning? Are you going to do it during nap time and put aside something else you need to do? Or are you going to do it at nighttime when the kids are asleep? Personally, there's no way in hell I am waking up early to exercise. There's no way I have the energy to do it once the kids are in bed. And as I just said, when they're napping, that's when I need my like quiet time. And if Shane's out for a run, then I got to do something in the house. So I'm going to, you know, lay down in the bath or try to take a nap. But there are ways that you can do this first of all if you have just had a baby I highly suggest checking out at expecting and empowered on Instagram they have been on this podcast before they are amazing and they give you exercises that will help you like therapeutically after you have a baby and if you're pregnant they have exercises that'll help you keep in shape and that are safe for pregnancy however I think some of the best ways to do this and you know I was looking this up are to include your kids if you can and being active throughout the day rather than just like taking a moment in the day to you know get a workout in for yourself because that can be difficult on most days. There was a study out of the University of Pittsburgh that confirmed that new parents are lead more sedentary lives than singles or people that are married without kids and like that's not shocking to me I don't think it's shocking to anybody with kids it's it's just it's hard and you're exhausted so there is this trainer his name is Brad Schoenfeld he's an author and a trainer he like trains elite athletes and he was talking on this subject in an article I was reading and he said look all you need to do is get spurts so like 10 to 15 minutes a couple times a day and that is going to be so good for you physically and he helps like the athletes that he trains, he said they do three and a half hours over a week in spurts sometimes. So that'll help you as a parent avoid burnout and it'll help keep you motivated because it can be 
so detrimental to be like, ah, I missed that hour chunk that I had. Now I'm not going to work out at all. It's like, no, you got 15 minutes here. You got 15 minutes there. Do that three times in a day or two times in a day and you've got your workout or take out that 20 minutes and do an at home weight workout. And that is going to be so beneficial to you. You don't need to spend an hour at a time. Your workout should be quality over quantity. So just be as efficient. Try to find efficient workouts online. And again, if your kids are older, include them and just, you know, try to be more active in your day and with your, in your play with your kids. So there are YouTube channels that have parent and kid workout ideas and like workouts that you can do together, which are pretty cute. I was looking at them before the episode. Or, you know, if you are not in an area that's like affected by COVID right now, sign up for a gym with childcare. That's what I did with Lucy before COVID and honestly it was so nice I loved it so I went to good life I'd pay them seven bucks and they'd take Lucy for two hours when I was working out so like I wouldn't even be working out the whole time you know I'd do like 45 minute workout and then I would sit in the sauna and it was beautiful because you're getting cheap childcare and your workout in so if you can find a gym with childcare, great option uh but yeah parenting can totally wreak havoc on your schedule i so. wonder if you could hack that and just go to good lives mm-hmm. and get d- free daycare <laughs> for like go to three get two hour chunks but the, but the thing is that they only do it between certain hours in the day oh so like they'll do it like in the afternoon like around lunchtime and then they'll do it again in the evening i see Okay, my advice is push-ups is a really effective way to get a lot of bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. And it, you can do it quick. Like I can do 100 push-ups in about a minute and a half. So, And sometimes Lucio will climb on my back, which helps because there's so much weight. Then I'll only be able to do like 35 or 40 because she's quite heavy right now. But yeah, and talking to your partner if you want to do a more traditional yeah. workout or go for a run and just say, hey – could you because the, the beauty is now typically if you're married and, and together and have the kids one parent's always home yeah so say hey i'm gonna go for a run at this time and you watch the kids yeah no it's just prioritize and if that's something you want to prioritize just make the time but shane that's all we got all right what an episode and uh i just want to say i love you alex oh thank you i love you too <laughs> and I love uh, I love our listeners. You know, I'm feeling in a, a loving mood, so I'd like to share the love and give us five star ratings Ooh. and give us a comment. And I find no one does it unless we do a plea on your Instagram page. Mm-hmm. But if we, no one really does it otherwise. So <laughs> prove me wrong and give give me a rating. It would make me feel so great. And we do love a comment, like in a way that you you have no idea. And they do make a huge difference because they push you up the algorithm mm-hmm. and it exposes the pod to more people, which makes more people want to do the pod. And if you like this pod and you want more episodes, that's the key to keeping us going. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 61.